welcome once again to Backlist and Chill. I am Ollie from near Philadelphia. I'm Cinna from Ohio. And we are in the final episode of season 10. This is episode 4, talking about Amelia Atwater Rhodes' return to the Den of Shadows, I think we've decided. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this one is Promises to Keep. The last one. We fucking made it, Ollie. We're, oh, no. We're at the end. Well, we're at the end of this season. Yes. Okay, yeah, I will celebrate that. Listen, I gotta take my small victories, okay? <laughs> You're like, it's it's it. We don't have to touch it for this no. season anymore. <laughs> no, we can read other things by uh, other authors with different uh, problems. <laughs> Please give me different problems. What a thought. I was thinking about how last episode, I was sitting there like holding back and I realized I shouldn't have fucking held back. And then we get to this book. And I'm like, oh, thank you. There's shit I can talk about here and <laughs> be mad about. Mm-hmm. And that it will be okay. You and I can have a conversation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So as much as I am not looking forward to talking about this, I'm also looking forward to talking about it. I feel like this is a general thing. Once we departed from the the silly Amy books. Yeah. We just sort of kept coming into like this gray muck that like wasn't good, but it was trying to be good, but it kept having like problems that were like not really that fun to talk about and just kind yeah. of downers. And that's just been like every Amy book, how since the Kiesha Ra has just been like yeah. it's such a fucking bummer. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry, people. Like I super wish they were all licking their blades and whipping (laughs) each other but that's just not where we live anymore that's not what it is and you know we we try to analyze an author's backlist because that's what we do at backlist and chill and this one we've got that meta knowledge of like oh you know these weren't very popular after you know certain books and i feel like we're seeing why because it's just it's just not that fun I think it comes with, like, an effort to do more with the world that they established as as a teenager, where, you know, it was all, like, sexy boys with snakes on their wrists and licking (laughs) blood off of blades and stuff. And, like, that's all very fun and camp and stupid, but at least we can all just sort of enjoy it. Yeah. But there's, like, been this attempt to sort of take things on. Make issues books out of these books? Almost. I. It's just this weird stretch that I don't think they achieve with these books where they're not campy fun, like they're trying to do more, trying to think about more, but they're just not good at it. I was reading a review of the books in general. Mm-hmm. I forget which series, maybe even it was the Kishra, but like the description used the word extremely mediocre mid-2000s YA series, and I was just like, extremely mediocre. I I didn't want to say it. (laughs) I'm like, someone else did. It feels so mean to say, but it it feels right in my soul. We are at the point where there were four of the first series when we did season two. Then I think season six, there were five books. That's nine books. And then these were six books. We are at book 15, 
honestly, we've put in the fucking work here. (laughs) You know, we read the books, we reviewed the books, we chatted about the books. We have been kind where we have, you know, needed to be kind for like a young, new author. But we are 15 books deep now. (laughs) Okay, like, not the gloves are off so much as like the fucking glasses are on. (laughs) the gloves have worn away yeah there are no gloves we were using gloves before and then just like i don't know it felt like in the beginning of this season it was still a matter of like well you know now we're back to this this part of the world this time period of the world but this was another five book section we reviewed one of them in the first uh time and it's just there has been no growth and it has felt like backwards growth I, that, so there, it did feel like there was growth at the beginning, right? Like, oh God, the opening, like, section, like the first, like, what, 75 pages of Persistence of Memory? Thank you. Could not I know. Every time I'm like, what is the name of that book? The one with the word memory in it? Yeah, that (laughs) one. (laughs) It felt like it was going somewhere new. It it did. It felt like growth. But then, you know, we've, we've kept running into this issue of like the reveal plot and the reveal keeps <laughs> creeping up and ruining the book. Surprise, you're in nice group. Yeah, there's just like you said, it's it's the hmm, how to put this. It has grown in such a way that uh, it is put on like a new serious gray suit and it just can't pull it off. <laughs> it's an adult know? now. Thank you. <laughs> I wish we had read all just glass this season. I'm very glad we didn't have to because Mm -hmm. like five books is just too much of this. Yeah. But like I listened to our episode in preparation for last episode Mm -hmm. to, to refresh myself on like what happened and either we were really forgiving (laughs) and excited to see as much growth as we did after shattered mirror. Like that is a long time period, but like, I do wonder how it would have been to read it in between token of darkness and poison tree Mm -hmm. we just don't know we won't know yeah i certainly do not intend to find out nope once we're done with these they're going on my shelf i am never opening them again never i'm deeply concerned about when we get back around to the next series but very glad that it is the final series in this author's young adult backlist thank god and that is only three books because I can already tell that it's going to be the same conversations, you know? Right? Like All of the shit that we're pissed about in this one is going to be even worse in the next one. Right? So everybody look forward to whatever season that is. It's going to be a laugh riot. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I don't want to hold supernatural creatures <laughs> to specific standards, but... I am just getting more and more frustrated with there just not being... Oh, wait, there's... Hold on. I'd I'd had a nice little meme that I keep sharing. Uh, So Mary P. Sue on Tumblr said, I do not want my fantasy media to be realistic. I want my fantasy media to be convincing. Mm -hmm. And I agree. I'm not going to hold these, these characters, these fantasy beings, to a realistic standard. But I do need to be convinced about anything, literally anything. <laughs> and coming from where we're, we are in this book, the Mavra is just, it's not going to convince me, I guarantee it. <laughs> yeah. 
But listen, we should we should get through all the stuff and then talk about the books more because we're like 15 minutes in and we haven't done our introductory stuff. I mean, that's that's fair. I did want to make sure we got a lot of that up front. So. So. Ollie. Yes. What are you drinking in honor of this? The final fucking Den of Shadows book that we have to read for this season. So I'm not entirely sure what to call it. Okay. Because I've just made an undeath in the afternoon, Mm -hmm. which is absinthe with ginger ale. But I threw in some crushed up candy cane. Oh, interesting. As little, little hidden bits I wasn't expecting. So I'm open to suggestions. How about I pitch what I'm calling my drink? Oh. Which is, fuck this book. <laughs> You're going to drink that. Ah! Okay, wait, hold on. No, hold on. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. What, what, what? Maybe, um, I'm going to call it, everyone benefits from slavery, so you're all complicit is a bad theme. <laughs> okay, that is also good. I, that is approved. We'll like, I know that's through. not the full theme, but that that conversation has ever had, I feel that's okay to be like, that's the little hidden bit. It's, it's certainly a conversation that's had multiple times. In this fucking book. So just in case anyone was surprised, like I was, by (laughs) these candy cane shards (laughs) in their drink, heads up. At least the shards in your drink are pleasant to taste. (laughs) And slowly, like, melt. Mm Mm-hmm. So tell me about your drink. Listen, um, I just got wine. (laughs) I thought about it for a hot second, and then I was like... What would I even Google? Like, what kind of cocktail would I even Google? Slave owner cocktail? Like, what cute little cocktail name does this book fucking warrant? And the answer is... I'm so glad we both had this issue. (laughs) The answer is nothing. Oh, right. I saw it. That's the wine. Yeah. That's wine, baby. Oh, my friend. Oh, no. I thought it was the bottle that was that color. No, that is wine. The bottle's green. Oh my god, this is so much wine. <laughs> it's a whole bottle. Oh my god. Yep. Okay, amazing. You're like, fuck it. It's Honestly. wine. And it's called, I'm sorry, what's it called again? Uh, it's called Fuck This Book. Fuck This Book, that's very good. And you put it in a water bottle? Mm-hmm. Okay, that's very good. Yep. <laughs> I'm gonna read the back of the book. Jay Marinich, witch and vampire hunter, shouldn't be among the glittering array of predators at the vampire empress Kendra's fabled heathen holiday bash. So, why is he there? Of the many lures that have pulled him into the territory of his natural prey, perhaps the strongest one is this. Jay Marinich just doesn't do sensible. <laughs> Jay has always hurtled through life without a plan, often finding himself in dangerous situations, like Kendra's party. During the course of the evening, Jay meets a beautiful, totally psychotic vampire and finds a shapeshifter lying on the forest floor, her hair streaked with moonlight. A hunter is supposed to kill, and a witch, a witch can make any number of choices. Against his better judgment, Jay comes to the aid of both the unstable vampire and the mysterious shapeshifter. Could a more thoughtful, sensible being foresee and avert the chaos that will be unleashed? 
Perhaps. Complex magic must be channeled. Dangerous alliances must be forged. Competing desires must be overcome. Will it all be enough? And if it isn't, what then? Yeah, what a road has created a mesmerizing world filled with fascinating creatures sure to thrill both new and longtime fans. What is this fucking blurb? This is nothing. This doesn't tell you anything about the book. No. Like, if anything, it starts, like, being like, hey, we're just gonna lampshade that, like, none of this makes sense by being like, Jay doesn't do anything sensible. The book didn't have a plan. Oh, no, it's Jay who doesn't have a plan. (laughs) It's very peculiar to me the way that I remember this book was chatted about more as Jay, like, possibly being, or not even possibly, but straight up being bisexual. And, like, Zeke is nowhere on this blurb. And, you know, then reading it, too, it's like, he shows up, like, three times, but it just doesn't matter. Yeah, it's it's funny, huh? Like, I do also remember, like, the big thing about this book being that Jay was by and that there were two potential love interests in here of different genders. And that was, like, a big deal. Yeah. But like you said, it's nowhere in this blurb, which is, like, I mean, it was 2013, so maybe we weren't fully, like promoting on that basis yet but like i guess nowadays it would be front left and center right they would be like he meets two vampires and that would have been the plot and then be like what of the mysterious shapeshifter he's found but no the the blurb is like no homo right the blurb is like uh he meets a shapeshifter and he also helps the vampire maybe maybe that's a love triangle huh huh yeah, I mean, her hair is streaked with moonlight. That's mm-hmm. like a really romantic phrase for this character who never speaks a word to him. Because she never gets to say anything. We can't. We can't. Okay, anyway. We'll get there. So, we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> so the cover, though, uh, this is probably the most competent of all of the covers so far. Yeah, this is my favorite of the new den, which, you know, it's not saying a whole lot, but it is. It is not saying a whole lot because this is nondescript as fuck. So... It is a big blue tinted picture of a forest with like a lots of emphasis on the roots of the tree and like the earth. And maybe that's supposed to imply the earth elemental. I don't know. <laughs> I've never considered that. I mean, that's my best guess. Uh, it is overlaid with further pictures of a forest just to make the picture seem more dense. Like it's actually a forest. Uh, it's not. It's Photoshop. Anyway. Uh, There are two figures running up this root thick ground. Uh, They are blurry and uh, intentionally indistinct, uh, but clearly also intended to be like a dude and a chick, right? Yeah, long hair, short hair. I thought they looked more ghostly than Token of Darkness. Yeah, I, I think so. I definitely, if I were just looking at this, I would assume it was a ghost book. Yeah. Up at the top are the fucking ravens. The ravens are everywhere. <laughs> Zero ravens in this book. Sorry, spoilers. Super weird, but there are just three ravens in here because that's just like a cover motif. Uh, and at the bottom in red, there is promises to keep the title with a yellowish swoosh behind it. Yeah, you're right, it does. Up at the top, there is the author's name with that bright white glow for absolutely no reason. (laughs) I mean, it's definitely less shitty than Token of Darkness and Poison Tree. So there's that. Poison Tree was just bad. And All Just Glass is just bad. It is. And this one doesn't have like the weird dirty look Token of Darkness did. So 
I do remember liking the Persistence of Memory one, but this one I like better than that. Something about it is just kind of pretty imagery. Still nothing compared to anything that came before them. Absolutely not. Very boring, honestly. Wait, after the Kiyoshara, like, what is this? What is this filler cover? Oh, it is worth noting that yes. although it looks like it, this book is apparently not set in Cochin. Oh, what it is, is it in? set in 12.OIRE, which may oh. be a technical phrase that I don't know. But that is what it says when it talks about the typesetting, even hmm. though it looks very similar to uh, the coaching of the first few books. Yeah, it does. I wonder I wonder what's changed on it. I do love mm. those kinds of uh, little things where it's like, hmm, yes, but this one has a slightly different S. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so we can call it something else. All right. So the one note I want to make on the dedication thanks page is where there is a shout-out to Veterans of the Long-Abandoned NRPG, which stands for Nice Group RPG. Or, I'm sorry, Nice Group Roleplaying Group. <laughs> May find something familiar in these pages and will probably laugh a lot when they recognize it. The idea formed in those crazy days never could have survived without the near-madness that is National Novel Writing Month, so I must also tip my hat to the Offices of Letters and Light once again. Alright, so this is a nanobook. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean anything. But it is also a story that I remember playing part of. Okay. In the NRPG. Okay. Where I think it was right before Kieshara came out, maybe even, like, slightly before and while Midnight Predator was coming out. Okay. And my memory could be wrong, but whatever. It was definitely before... Hawk song because people were still kind of guessing at what is a shapeshifter. Mm-hmm. And it took place at new midnight. And for some reason, everybody turned human for like some period of time, like maybe like three months or something, or three months happened really quickly once everyone got their powers back. And, you know, as a role playing game, it was silly and fun, but Amy was participating in it and running that little plot line, being like, this is what's happened. Everyone suddenly has, has this happen? So, I do think it is interesting to be like, wow, all of this big change that happens at the end there came from a storyline that happened in a Yahoo group, role playing group, back in, God, what would it have been? 2004? So, just a little tidbit for you. Interesting. So, I was was looking at the blog posts uh, because I remembered uh, Amy also mentioning uh, the NRPG. And I found this dated on the 28th of December, 2009. Does anyone remember that reading this, remember the Yahoo groups based roleplay called NRPG? It got a little slow, so I tried out a bizarre storyline that I had started writing, but didn't know how to approach. That first file, the one that made it five pages before I gave up on it, says it was created on 8-3-1999 at 6.40 p.m. Wow. So what was the month? August, but they said that this is the first file that they wrote, presumably the turning human storyline, not necessarily the Yahoo thing. Oh, no, for sure, for sure. That is right around when Forests came out. Mm -hmm. I don't know which month exactly, maybe it was the springtime, but that means that plot line, you know, five years later in the role playing group was pulled from then. So this book, this idea, 
is still pulling from stuff that was created as a middle schooler, right? No, that would be high school. This is fascinating. I do think it's worth just sort of noting, like, one of the things that was posted just after they wrote this on Nano, right? Mm -hmm. So they said, in a post dated December 23rd, 2009, This past November, I participated in National Novel Writing Month. I wrote a novel approximately 50,000 words long, which may or may not be part of Nyusi Group canon. Why am I uncertain? Because this novel changes a lot. Many millenniums ago, in the history of Nyusi Group, two humans made a deal with a fire elemental generally referred to in modern day as Leona. The students and progeny of these two once-humans further spread their power, creating in the process the vampires, witches, and shapeshifters you have all met in my previous books. About a month ago, one of my characters broke that status quo. Now I need to decide, do I pretend it never happened, or do I move on and explore what the world has become? I'm not entirely sure which characters are alive or dead. I started building an Ayusi group in 1995, the summer after fifth grade. Two years later, I wrote In the Forest of the Night. And now, 14 years later, I need to decide whether I'm ready to explore a world reborn. Some of you will like the prospect. Some of you will hate it. Regardless what I decide, Token of Darkness, Algis Glass, and Poison Tree come first in terms of publication. I'm just not sure yet what happens after that. It sounds so interesting, right? Right? And even the idea of continuing on with, like, whatever this, like, shattered den of shadows is sounds so interesting doesn't it all of these concepts all of these ideas from this author are always in theory so cool can't wait to get that that rpg update give it to me now (laughs) but then you go and you read the freaking books and you're just like where is the emotion where's the adventure and the fun so can i just can i just throw something out there of course my friend i Read this book for the first time just after it first came out. Obviously, I have an mm-hmm. ARC. I forgot everything about it. Yeah. <laughs> but doing all the the research for this season and looking at all these blog posts and seeing Amy talk about like, oh, my character just broke the canon. I, I think every book has been unintentionally leading up to this. And now I'm here and I I have this big choice to make. So I I went into this book thinking, oh, I read it and I don't remember like any big world shaking thing happening, but maybe that's just me forgetting. Right. So I get to the world earth shaking thing and I'm just like, that's it. Huh? Oh no. That's it. That's the world shaking earth changing event. They just swapped powers. Like, granted, the book does say, like, oh, a bunch of people died off screen, blah, 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 blah. But, like, yeah, but nobody who fucking matters. And if they do, we don't know that they died. So that there's still room to bring them back because they never actually died. La, la, la. <laughs> and they mentioned in passing, like, oh, the human world is experiencing earth-shaking events and losses, too. But, like, who cares, right? <laughs> but, like... <laughs> Fuck humans. Just the idea that, like, the thing, somebody broke Nyusa group and now... Things will never be the same. I'm like, just a power swap. It's nothing. This is not like this hidden world has been revealed to humans, which is, nope. I know, it's a trope and it gets done a lot, but I, I always am up for, oh, fuck, <laughs> what are you going to do now that humans know? And you're like, what what you going to do? Always up for that trope. That's not what happens. It's not what matters. 
I feel like if you are immersed in this world, if you are the person who say created this world and you've spent 15 years with everything a certain way and you spend books explaining why things have to happen in a certain way because of (laughs) these rules. Especially with that, right? Like this constant trying to tell us how everything works and we're all still like confused about a lot of it. Right. But if you know in your heart all the rules to your RPG, I'm sure that in that instance, this is a world shattering thing because now all the rules have changed. Right. Well, remember last time where it's like, oh, what are the Mistari rules? Um, They all kind of feel really plot convenient. (laughs) (laughs) But I guarantee, you know, that's the way they've always been. And now, if something changes, you're like, oh, but the rule isn't the same anymore. And you're like, I never knew what this character did anyway, so what's it matter to me? (laughs) Right. It's just for the thing that it was billed as. It's very little, is all I'm trying to say. Yeah. It acts like it's a big thing. I'm sure for the people involved in the world of characters that this is huge, because my powers don't work the way they're supposed to anymore. But we don't get to see people struggling with it. No, and they all still have them. So they really did just do a big musical chairs. (laughs) It means nothing to anybody that I care about, because I care about nobody in these books. (laughs) These are all new characters. I mean, there's that, right? Like, Any of the characters who would have been interesting to know what was going on, we don't even get to hear about. Nope. We just hear about a bunch of randos. Like, utter randos. Yep. We'll get to that. Yep. We did. I did skip us to the end. I apologize. Let's rewind, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. We're at the beginning. This book has three sections. Mm Mm-hmm. The first section is kind of a typical Nasa group, Dana Shadows book. A hunter witch has gone off to a party with a bunch of vampires, and they may or may not, but probably not, kill anybody there just because <laughs> they are a hunter. But probably not, because but vampire hunters not. in these books don't actually kill vampires. I, well, because everybody's connected to somebody, right? You can't <laughs> kill this person, or their their master will come down on your head so hard, and your whole fucking line will be dead. Well, who am I fucking killing, then? Who's actually been killed by a hunter? Daryl? I think that might actually be it. Wasn't even a hunter. Turquoise killed him, didn't she? Yeah, but that's not a hunter. She's a hunter? She's a mercenary. Yeah, she's a mercenary. No one's been killed by any of these fucking witch hunters. Okay, witch hunters, fair enough. Fair enough. I was looping turquoise in as a vampire hunter. But yeah, no, the witches have killed zero. I view turquoise killing Daryl, which is relevant to this book, in fact. I view her more as one of Daryl's victims than a hunter who went out to kill a vampire. You know, like, that is the more important bit, is that it's like, you abused me, and I'm fucking taking you out. Very empowering. As opposed to, dooby-doo, going on a mission to a party where there's vampires, and I could do a stab, but I choose not to. Right. Or I try and then immediately get tossed. (laughs) Right? Like, a fucking ragdoll. Because these vampires are just too cool. Too cool, too powerful, and if they're not, they're BFFs with someone who will, like, eat you for dinner. So, the second section is dealing with the mystery of the shapeshifter that Jay finds in the woods outside this party, and learning about Midnight, which we just 
discussed. Um, you know, that's where Turquoise had like gone into in Midnight Predator and things like that. Anyway, learning that Midnight, New Midnight still exists, or rather exists at all for Jay, because he didn't know. It's been 18 months since Daryl died, and the mm-hmm. witches didn't know. Just saying. It is wild, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's acting like he died last summer, mm-hmm. but it's very specific about the fact that it was two summers ago, and all of the other books we have read up till now were talking about how Raven became the leader, you know, mm-hmm. X number of months ago. So that's the second section, is dealing with, oh shit, Midnight's real, and Jay, like, makes a pact with an earth elemental that is connected to this this tiger. Oh, uh, not tiger. God, we don't even learn what kind of shapeshifter she is. She's probably a cougar. Probably a cougar. But it's never specifically stated. But yeah, yeah probably a cougar from that, that one scene. So a mountain lion shapeshifter who had been a priestess to an elemental. Mm-hmm. And he makes a deal with this elemental and they're going to bring down Midnight. And then the third section is about everybody going, Oh no, Jay, you done fucked up. You made a deal with that earth elemental. And now she's not just taking down Midnight. She's heading towards Leona, which, you know, as mentioned, was the fire elemental that nobody gives a fuck about before this book, who <laughs> magically has created all the characters in the Yusuke group for the most part. She was an Easter egg until about 20 pages ago. <laughs> right. Uh, and, you know, spoilers, there's a bunch of other, I guess not spoilers, but shock, there's a bunch of other elementals who have had other people as their, like, devotees. And they're all mad because Chantel is the name of the Earth Elemental, is going after Leona's bonds and is trying to, like, destroy them and sever them from her so she can't be powerful because this is a, a multi-level marketing thing where <laughs> uh, you know if I'm a vampire and I embrace you I'm feeding myself but I'm also feeding Leona's power so if like Chantal can like cut us off Leona's weaker okay we all following <laughs> uh, so all everybody's pissed because they're like Jerry what did you do <laughs> all of the leggings that I bought are just going to rot in my garage <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Oh, I've got all these candles and no one will buy them. So Jay joining forces with three other supernatural beings to go find Chantel and talk reason into, but probably murder, an elemental, which we are told in this book, even a weak elemental is like a god, completely destroying what we've been told in Token of Darkness, where it was like, Samantha's a fucking weakling. I don't know what's going on here, but she can't even make her own body. Well, so I don't know where that came from. That being said, Ryan was still very clear that she could slap all of them into oblivion if she wanted to. Yeah. As much as I don't like to admit anything Ryan says is correct. Uh, there's com- concern about how is Chantal still this powerful when her people have been, you know, disappeared forever, blah, blah, blah. We learn why. The end section, like I said, is about basically, um, I'm going to use the word taming this earth elemental and helping keep all of the supernatural creatures alive. Mm-hmm. And that's it. That's the section. Those are the three fucking sections. I have done a good job now of telling us what this book is about. Yeah, you did. Thanks. This is the first time I've been able to look at a book in a long time and be like, oh, you've got three acts. Yeah, so that is something that I wanted to like say on the positive side for Promises to Keep. I never felt blindsided by anything that was revealed or any of the plot developments. Like, it all flowed 
pretty logically, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, beyond the leaps of you need to know the world to understand it. Right. Each time things escalated and the plot, you know, became about something else, it was, yes, that is the end of this act twist. Great. Sure. And like, certainly there were moments where there were conveniences in the way the world worked or conveniences in the information that somebody had, whatever. Like, that was still there. But like, we never had a moment where they fucking introduced a character pivotal to the story that we had not seen before then you know (laughs) 20 pages from the end right like this felt like a book yeah everyone gets introduced at a reasonable pace (laughs) good wine taste that's the blurb that you can put on this book people got introduced felt like a book felt like a book this was a book that happened and we don't have to question it i mean that part (laughs) We can question everything else about it, but. (laughs) Right. I feel very, like I said, I feel very good that we are able to say this is what happens. This is the plot. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. But now the book. Yes. Where, where would you like to start? And what, why don't we start with the small quibbles and then talk about the big one. Yes. What are your small quibbles, Ollie? (laughs) No, of course not. I, listen, you know what I did, you guys? I read this book and I just highlighted phrases and I, I didn't have comments because they were just, <laughs> they're just things that I saw and was like, what? I think I've got to scroll to like the first section. Oh, right. When we were still like, oh, these are the small things that I have issue with and yeah, not just it, like, what is this book? <laughs> the third section is just fucking rage and flipping tables, but let's see what the first <laughs> section might be. <laughs> right. Uh, okay. Let's see. I I like the way the book opens, mm-hmm. where let me open the book to remember. Um, yeah, because <laughs> I don't want to say it incorrectly. So sure. the book opens, and it is eighteen oh four. It's the night that midnight, the original midnight falls, September twenty second, mm-hmm. and we get to see Brina's perspective. Oh, so there's two main characters. Unfortunately, one is Jay, <laughs> and one is Brina. Brina is a vampire. Boo, Notice boo. how when I gave you the three acts of this, Brina didn't matter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So anyway, we get to see her perspective of midnight falling. There's like a pretty dark moment where she realizes like, oh, no mortal is going to be able to get out of this magically on firestone building. So I'm going to snap the neck of my my boy assistant here where it's like, oh, shit. Wow. That's how we're opening this. Boy assistant. Is being too generous, Ollie. He's not You're her correct. assistant. It's midnight. He is her slave. That that is correct. He is a young boy whom Brina has enslaved. Can we can we specifically? Because she talks exactly about how she had him. Oh God, the way she the way it's phrased. Yeah, I guess the phrasing's not as bad as I thought. He is a young boy that she had recently taken in. But this is midnight. <laughs> we all know what that means, right? Taking a boy in. In Midnight, the vampire slave empire, that's not a generous, kind offer to some poor homeless boy. Right. And he also is, like, I know we've had instances in the past where, like, Jaguar adopted um, the child in Midnight Predator, and he was actually his adoptee, whatever. Right, Eric. This kid is a slave. Like, he he has a placid soul. He is, like, he follows every order that she makes. Like, he is a midnight slave born and bred, which is something we'll get to eventually. I'm sorry for derailing. That's okay. That's okay. But that scene is, like, 
I thought it was setting the stage for us to be uh-huh. like, here's Brina, and she will do what is necessary, even if it is not a good thing. Mm-hmm. Like, it is not a good thing to kill this kid, but it is an act of unfortunate mercy mm. to snap his neck rather than letting him burn alive. It's not even a moral gray area. It's just like a shitty thing you had to do so that more shitty things don't happen to him. Mm-hmm. And I was ready for that character. I was ready for Brina, who will fucking murder a child. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, all right, all right, we're starting there. We've got a fucking child murdering vampire. Cool. Mm-hmm. I thought we were ready for some ridiculous, horrible fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good, it's a good way to set your stage. Yeah. So she escapes the fucking fire, right? Mm-hmm. And then we have this scene of, why does the character have to be named Sarah, but with no H, Vita? Oh, God. Where she's outside, and she sees Jessica, and... Jessica is distracted and uh, dazed and staring at the building as it burns. And Sarah creeps closer and then she pauses because she thinks about, like, Jessica being protected by powers too great to fight. And and literally, quote, if you kill her, her allies will come for you. You will not be able to beat them. They will slaughter you and your children and your entire line. They will wipe the witches from the face of this earth. And and she's like, pauses and then Mm -hmm. remembers... The Sakri, which that word comes back, had given Sarah a prophecy because there was a bunch of people who like teamed up together to burn midnight. And it was not all hesitation is sin, not all sacrifice is in vain. And I was really expecting that to be the theme Mm -hmm, of this mm -hmm. book. (laughs) But it's not. Um, And anyway, Jessica fucking turns and like murders her. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's our opener. But I did like seeing the first midnight burn. Of course. Whatever little bits we can get. Yeah. Like, that that was great to see the fucking fear and the fleeing and just being like, ha ha, evil slaving and slaving vampires. You got your shit burnt to the ground. Maha. Literally all of the major powers of Naisi Group came together because they were like, you know what? Fuck that in particular. And they burnt <laughs> it to the ground. How do you feel? I don't care. Oh, man. Fuck that in particular. Indeed. <laughs> So that's where we start, and that's where I thought we were going to go. But then, like, the literal next chapter opens with Jay's arms pinwheeling like a cartoon character. (laughs) Like, that's the line. (laughs) Yes, it's a bad line. It is a bad first chapter, first line. It's a bad introduction to a character. Like, he's in a fight with a bunch of vampires that are nameless, of course. And he's pinwheeling so he doesn't fall down the stairs. And you're like, why do we care? And they're, like, in a little tchotchke store that sells faux Native American souvenirs. And, like, I don't know, this this whole book is set around Christmas, but there's a lot of, like, references to Native cultures mm-hmm. that just feels really weird to be surrounded so much by Christmas. Yeah. All right, let's see. Uh, My first minor quibble, which is sadly the smallest bit of this, was when we get to the holiday heathens or heathen holiday bash i just think it's a ridiculous title it is it's but it's that old ridiculous that good old den of shadows it's sad my quibble is actually the thing that could be fun right except it's it's not fun because this book isn't fun it would be at home in like shattered mirror yeah but in this it's just sort of like oh that's a weird thing for them to call this huh (laughs) <laughs> you're like you've had that name forever right and like we meet kendra and like 
we met her previously in All Just Glass, where she, like, took Sarah shopping, but we didn't get to see the scene. Fuck you. But we finally get to meet her this time. At least that's something. I mean, we met her last time, but it was, like, two seconds. But yeah, we do get to see her, and this is her fucking place. And for some reason, you know, as, as I discussed, we learned that it's near midnight. But, like, for some reason, Kendra, who is her own fucking line, like, she's the progenitor of her line, mm-hmm. has this house that she has this holiday party at every year, and she lives on the outskirts of Midnight. I mean, they do talk about, they talk a lot in the very beginning about, like, how intertwined Kendra is with Midnight, how she politically supports it and stuff, so. Mm, that's fair, that's fair. You know? The Toreador is like, I appreciate my access to enslaved beings. Thank you. I'm basically, yes. And all of her people, like, so Jay is an, Jay is an empath, not a telepath. Oh my God. (laughs) You want to say? He's just a telepath. Like, (laughs) he's just a telepath. He does telepath things. So let's, let's not using Auspex one. Okay. No, no. So let's look at what empathy is, right? Like, In books that are not Den of Shadows, an empath is somebody who can, like, sense the emotions of other people. That is like receptive as opposed to projective. Right. That's their superpower. It's not I can read your mind. It's like I can feel when you're upset or when something is wrong. Like, it's it's. I walk into this room and I feel like a wall of grief. Right. But in here, Jay needs to be able... To be a telepath in a world full of people who are open to him. But we've established in previous books that that world doesn't exist. So we're going to call it empathy because it goes in the fucking Ethernet drive instead of the USB. (laughs) And the USB is protected, but the Ethernet port is not. And that's how Jay gains his access. It's literally the only distinction because like... Uh, uh, Ah, it's a different word. Okay, fine. Right? There are words spilled. Like, there's a whole paragraph about what makes empathy different, and I'm not going to read it. Because it it comes down to Amy telling us that, like... Just trust me, it's different. Right, yeah, it's trust me, it's different. Like, the only difference is that every once in a while, Jay will describe how somebody's mind feels, and I think it literally happens, like, twice. Yeah. But that's it. Otherwise, he's just picking up literal words and phrases coming out of their brain. That's telepathy. Sometimes full-on memories. Yeah. Like, I can't look at you if I was an empath, presumably, although I guess in this world I could, and be like, I see you grieving over there, and I know exactly what it is, and I can experience your grief. No. I can just be like, you're grieving. Mm, This is maybe what it's about. Not like I can see the whole damn scene and know what people fucking said. See- I would accept that as a form of empathy, right? Like if you're just so overwhelmed with their emotions that you are yeah. immersed in it. But but not knowing what they said. Yeah, this motherfucker picks up words. And that's like a running joke is that he responds to conversations that people are having in their brains. I wish it was he had both. But again, like you said, if he was using his tel- his telepathy, it would be, ah, uh, ah, uh, they're shielded from that. Right, which the book even tells us. They tell us that Jay gets this access because he goes through the Ethernet port. <laughs> it's just, it's so pointless. But the book brings it up so much that it's just like, I would have forgotten that vampires can shield themselves from telepathy. <laughs> I genuinely would have, we, like... We have read all 14 other books in this, you know, backlist here. I, I wouldn't have been able to tell you that. Because it didn't fucking matter. 
No, I would have happily surrendered that knowledge and embraced the idea that Jay is just a special kind of witch who can read people's minds better than right. vampires. Of just being like, oh, people don't like having the Marinages around because, like, they've got the mental hack for it. Sure. The trade-off is they can't turn it off. Right. But they use the, the word empathy and they go into detail about why empathy is about feelings. It's like, but you don't use it that way. So therefore, Correct. you've tripped me up. <laughs> and after having seen Token of Darkness where Brent, Brent? yeah, where he had something similar... Mm-hmm. I thought, oh, maybe his thing is that he is an untrained distant cousin Marinich witch, blah, blah, blah. But no. Mm-hmm. So, uh, oh, what's worth talking about the party is how fucking gay. I mean, he's bisexual, but, you know, for, for mm-hmm. those of us who are queer, how fucking gay Jay is for Zeke. Yeah, no, that's that's the one spark of life in this book. Yeah, it's like amazing. And the... Because he, like, sees Zeke, and he's like, oh, my God, it's Zeke. And, like, we get a bunch of info dump, but it feels oh, yeah. more like Jay's personal info dump of being like, oh, my God, this is this guy I super like. He's a vampire, and even though I'm a vampire hunter, it doesn't matter. He makes, like, cool movies, and I have, like, a poster on my wall <laughs> definitely jerked off to. And, <laughs> you know, like, then he meets him, and he's like, oh, is any of this art yours? And he's like, oh, some of the photos, but mostly I'm in cinema. And you can tell that Jay is just, like, trying so hard not to be like, I know! <laughs> um, <laughs> Will you sign my DVD? <laughs> Right. And like, it's going to be midnight soon. And Zeke is like, it's kind of late for you. And Jay basically is like, "Mm, you could always, you know, if you wanted, you know, feed off of me. He doesn't say it outright, but it's, you know, fully implied. And God, just like the whole scene is extremely homoerotic. I love it. He tries to give him the knife because Zeke was nervous about that. But then he's like, no, it's okay. So he says, I think it would be best if I... This is Zeke and then Jay. I think it would be best if I ask you to make very clear what you're offering. Uh, Jay, I'm offering blood. I'm offering to let you into my mind. Is that clear enough? Zeke, clear enough to be irresistible. And he, like, steps forward and he gently grasps Jay's wrist. Uh, Jay closes his eyes and lets the vampire maneuver him into the position he wanted. Unsurprisingly, he had never done this before. (laughs) Zeke was firm but not rough, making it clear in the pressure of his grip that it would be best if Jay didn't struggle. Jay relaxed into the restraint. At the moment when Fang's punctured skin and the blood began to flow, he felt Zeke's mind nudge his. Jay's shields were too good to be penetrated without permission, but he gave that consent, dropped his mental walls, so he was defenseless as a human. And I was like, you are fucking. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is amazing. There's like a, a later line in Act 3 where... They're, like, heading up to go hike to the old midnight, as opposed to the new midnight lands. And, like, I was dying because Zeke gives a reach around Jay's waist. Ha, what were you thinking? (laughs) And I'm just like, this is so... Every line between the two of them is just double entendre. I I don't know if the author was intending it, but, like, if they weren't, there's just no fucking way they weren't. (laughs) But anyway, the two of them have any spark of connection and interest mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. compared to the later love interest. So, yes. like, I hate it. But, yeah, that was super worth talking about. 
No, it's good stuff. Uh, he put his vampire teeth penis into Jay's <laughs> mind butt, and it was consensual. And it Couldn't was great. be penetrated without permission. <laughs> and Jay relaxed and let him in. Mm. Yeah, he nudged that mind. <laughs> Jay's secret sweet spot is mine. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to laugh now. Get it out. <laughs> Get it out while you can. I know. It's okay. All right. But anyway, uh, the horrible part is that we are also here with Brina. Brina is the worst. Yeah, you know what I didn't need in a list, a long list of things I didn't need from the Nice Group books? Mm-hmm. That would be a love interest redemption arc for Daryl's sister wife, whatever she is. <laughs> okay, listen, Ollie, I, I did not get the incest vibes. I'm sorry. I know they were strong with you, but I just, I didn't feel it. It's the way she's obsessed with him. Okay. It's the way she mourns him like a lover. Okay. The fact that they were lord and lady of a house for 200, 400 years. Mm -hmm. Okay, just everything to me screamed, why didn't you just make them a couple as opposed to brother and sister? Because, especially because, Jay feels like he is filling in for Daryl. Okay. And if he's going to be a love interest rather than a brother figure... That means she's trying to fill in missing a lover, not missing a brother. Narratively speaking. I definitely see where you're coming from. I definitely agree that being a lord and lady of a house for 400 years is, does definitely have, like, big vampire couple energy. Um, now, granted, I'm pretty sure I may have read previous, like, drafts of some stuff that Daryl was in where that may also be clouding my judgment. Okay. Minus, like I said, the narrative uh, symmetry of if you're going to have uh, have Jay be that way and replacing Daryl, it should be brother as opposed to love interest. And I remember like just weird shit with Daryl with him being like his beautiful sister and stuff like that. Like it was it was big riffraff magenta vibes. <laughs> okay. I definitely didn't feel that in this particular book, even with Jay being drawn to Brina's distress and wanting to comfort her out of that distress, I didn't necessarily link that to Daryl. So I just, for me, for this thing, I did not get the incest vibes. That's okay. We can we can disagree on that, obviously. <laughs> I feel like she was mourning him like she had lost her husband. Now, granted, you know, you spend 400 years with your sibling as the person who is the most important person to you, and, and mm -hmm. you're probably going to mourn for, you know, 18 months at least. But yeah, it just, it really felt like, for me, I would have preferred for it to just be make Brina and Daryl romantically linked and not siblings so that Jay can be your love interest. Granted, I don't super love the idea of like, You've lost one lover and now you must replace with another. Whatever. Mm -hmm. I, I don't love that, but still, narratively speaking, I like the symmetry. Or Daryl is her brother, which he is, and Jay feeling like he is replacing Daryl as her protector, which again, you don't need that, but whatever, uh, and being a brotherly figure so that mm -hmm. him and Zeke could be together. I definitely think in terms of chemistry, like, so this is where that Amy's bad at writing romance comes in, because yeah. like, I definitely see the parts where Jay and Brina were supposed to make sense as a couple. Like, the scenes yeah. are, are there, but... <laughs> they interact, it's true. 
They, they do, and they interact in ways that are supposed to imply that they are complementary. Right, it's cute. But Jay and Zeke is the closest that any of these books have ever gotten to chemistry. To chemistry, to full-on fucking chemistry. It is wild that that relationship is shunted in favor of the weird, lukewarm, I guess it happened because you said it so. Yeah, like, all right, I guess I believe you, but I don't. Yeah, like, Zeke is shunted off as like, oh, he's notoriously flirty. Okay, but I've never seen this before in one of these books, even from Zane Cobriana. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, I mean, I want to go on record right now. Jay, you know, as we discussed earlier, is bisexual. Him ending up with a woman love interest does not defeat that. Mm -hmm. It is the fact that Brina and him have like no chemistry (laughs) that makes me be like, why not Zeke? So like, we often talk about this would be better if it was gay. This is still technically queer because Jay is himself a queer man. Mm -hmm. But he just had like no chemistry with the girl. He really didn't. No. Like, Like I said, the scenes were there, but they did not spark joy. They lent themselves more to, ah, the budding friendship between these two. Well, and again, it has to be read in that, like, oh, this is a heterosexual couple in a YA book, therefore this must be romance. Yeah. You know, and maybe it was just also that, like, I guess I kind of look at it as Jay is probably, at the very least, between sexual and romantic, he's at the very least homosexual. He may be, like demi-heterosexual, being like, sure, eventually I could have sex with a woman if I, you know, connected. But, like, the poire factor with Zeke is there. Mm -hmm. And, like, there's sweet protectiveness, which I guess feels more, like, hetero-romantic. Even if it didn't feel super romantic. So it's just, like, looking at the the fucking, like, coins falling into the slots on his his gender, or not his gender, his sexuality... (laughs) There's strong allosexual towards men, and there's not really any romance towards any gender. I think that is just the book trying to imply the depth of a connection over another one, right? Because, as you said, his connection with Brina is immediately protective. Like, oh, this poor distressed lady is being ignored by all of the other vampires. I must protect her, right? Yeah. Which, of course, you know how much I love that. Yes. But, like, the the sort of protectiveness, the very immediate protectiveness of this woman that he doesn't even know, BT dubs, it, it immediately establishes this sort of less superficial, but not... But here's this is this is me sort of quoting what I think the book wants us to believe, right? Okay, okay, not is what that, you believe, but what the book you think wants us to believe. Correct. I think that the book is trying to tell us that his emotional connection to Brina is less superficial than the fluttery tummy feelings that he gets when he lets Zeke the penetrate physical connection. Him. Yeah. yeah. Um. Or or not even necessarily more important or less important, but different. I think in a better book, they would just be different types of relationships that could simultaneously yeah. exist, right? Right. Of being like, here is the the vampire maiden that I have 
developed an emotionally intimate connection with mm-hmm. and here is my uh my vampire boyfriend who uh fucks me real good yeah right and it, it, it almost feels like they're going to do that like there's a scene when they're in the woods and they're camping yeah. And they're spooning. They're spooning, all three of them. And you're like, clap, clap, clap. This is the world that I want to see. Yeah. And then it just, nope. That's the last time. Yeah. And he, 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 you know, him and Brina are thrown together. And they're, from then on in the plot, they are maintaining their emotional connection where Zeke is not seen until like the very end and then only briefly, right? So. Yeah. The plot demands. Yeah, and the book sort of gives up on his connection with Zeke in favor of his connection with Reno, which is why it that. feels like they're sort of trying to imply that one is more important. Yeah, it's that. It's that it shows for us through, you know, like, well, we spent an extra day together, so therefore um, I'm going to choose Bachelor number two. Right. And, you know, the end does not talk about the time that Jay's spending with Zeke, right? It's talking about the yeah. time that he's spending with Brina. Yeah, and I really wish that there had been more to that, that the that it had been open to more interpretation. Right, because the book does talk about Zeke having other lovers, and that yeah. doesn't bother Jay. And he's no, like, there's a, a, that is a good thing to point out. At no point does Jay feel upset about this. Um, there's no jealousy, which is a very common ugly trope. So that that was nice, but it also maybe was part of you know, what you've been chatting about where the book is trying to tell us one thing versus another of being like Zeke's lover and be like, ah, but that is not Jay. Right. That, that is true. I mean, they do have the spoony scene after that. So it's not completely, you know, given up on that, but yeah, but it is telling us Zeke will be okay if Jay don't end up together. He's got a guy. (laughs) Right. That is true. Zeke has a person. Brina has nobody. And isn't that tragic? Oh, sad. It's extra sad once you know everything else, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, it, it makes me very just kind of disheartened about all of it with Zeke because he started out as such a fun scene, just a fun moment in Jay's night. And he continued to be an interesting enough character. Like at no point was I like, oh my God, get this guy off the fucking page. Never. It was always, oh, Zeke, thank God you're back. <laughs> There's an adult in the room. Oh, all right. <laughs> he just seems like a pretty decent person for a vampire, all things considered. Mm-hmm. I mean, other characters, Nicholas, by the way, gross. But <sighs> I think Nicholas is the one who says, like, yeah, Zeke is as good a guy as you're going to find in a vampire. So Yeah. Which, coming like, from Nicholas, right. again, Do not I the most you? ringing endorsement. Yeah. <laughs> but the book clearly wants it to be, so... God, the book tries so hard to be like, and Nicholas is cool because he invited me to the party because he wants Sarah to know someone here. Right. Nicholas is essentially like my in-law now and we're all cool with that. God, the depths. There's like too much to talk about with this book to even begin talking about the ways in which it connects to the other books in ways that just make me infuriated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like the shit with Nicholas. That's it. That's all I want to say on Nicholas. Okay. I'm just, I'm trying, I'm going through the end of the book now just to sort of see like what the last bit of Zeke we see is. Oh, yeah. I feel like the last we see of him is when they like flee the scene. It is. The next That's ridiculous. Time, what page is that? 215. And the, nec- the next time we see him is in the epilogue. Oh, you're right. You're right. At least he's only missing for those 20 pages, but still like that is the finale. 
and you're gonna take one of your presumably like possible love interests out and and there's really that right like all of the books in this backlist are not great about the romance angles of things because the plots are never about that right but they insist on having them yes it would be great if it was just like you all thought it was a love interest thing but it's not you were always wrong <laughs> right yeah so the other reason i don't buy brina mm-hmm. is and i was paying attention as i went along cuz i knew this was this was end game right mm-hmm. he keeps thinking about how she's a vampire who's done bad shit mm-hmm. and how he can't trust her and everyone who has seen him with her is like you need to be really careful cuz she mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. ultimately doesn't understand consent um mm-hmm. And that he's like, I might have to kill this person. Mm-hmm. Like, multiple times when he goes into a scene with Brina, he's like, I need to be ready to kill her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's like, dude, how do you go from that, you know, a couple days ago? Like, the whole plot takes place over Christmas Eve through New Year's Eve, which is a week. Mm-hmm. I didn't pay too much attention on the days because there was a lot of, like, in and out stuff. Yeah. And then also, like, the stuff happens in the climax and then the epilogue which isn't labeled as an epilogue but is like a wedding that takes place on new year's eve Mm -hmm. so there's just this nebulous time in between so it's like fine whatever but it takes place over the course of a week how do you go from the first three days i knew this person i was like constantly ready to put a knife in you to where we end up i super 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 duper fucking agree (laughs) That is, there is a a specific moment where the vibe between the two of them changes. The problem is that it is not a gradual thing. It is a moment. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, it had been a slow going, developing into, like I said, more of a brotherly protective-y kind of thing. Friendship. Even that, I would feel, is stretching it. Because, okay, so here's the thing. From Go, Jay is very proactive about protecting and comforting Brina, right? Like, I'm not going to say that's not a thing. Yeah, he's definitely like, oh no, pretty girl is sad. Right. It's implied that it is partially Brina's, like, mojo, like, and and Jay's empathy. It's not even implied. It is. It is Brina's mojo, her trauma, and Jay's empathy interacting to make it almost compulsive for Jay. So Right? He's like, wow, you're so broken, I can't look away. Well, and, and he even talks about how, like, he's almost doing it, not like, not of his own volition. Like, oh, I need to comfort this this person because she's in pain, and she's used to having somebody comfort her. and like, Yeah, otherwise she's dangerous. So I, I want to put that out there because, like, it never at any point feels like Jay is being reckless with regards to Brina, except where his empathy is sort of compulsive for her, right? Yeah, that's interesting. But at a point, and it's from Brina's point of view specifically, the book and Brina, and maybe this is, you know, Brina's perspective, right? But they decide that the romance sort of kicks in here. Like this is the specific point where Jay stops treating Brina like a a dangerous person, right? Where he starts making efforts that are beyond what you would expect for a stranger who's also a slave owner, right? Yeah. Like he he starts going out of his way. It it happens in the hospital like after Brina wakes up from her encounter with the elemental 
It's like, just because this happens doesn't change what she has done. No, but the book certainly changes the way it frames their relationship. Jay is like, I'm sorry I wasn't there. Uh, when, when you, you woke, woke up, up, you deserved better than that. Like, and in context, Jay was not there because he was trying to keep people from dying. But the yeah. book has him stop and be like, I'm sorry I wasn't there. You deserved better than that. I'm sorry I was busy saving lives. Right. <laughs> to to be there to comfort you, yeah. a slave-owning vampire mm-hmm. whom I have no personal connection to. <laughs> and previously was ready to stab and and previously, <laughs> as in literally the previous interaction, Jay yep. was like, oh, if I don't deal with this situation with diplomacy, this girl could kill wreck my shit, you know? Yeah, like he even like tells his brother to be like, stand down, but like go get people, have them on standby in case this goes bad. This is literally after he goes to her house and finds her starving people. Right, because she's just so incapable of doing shit for herself, nor thinking that other people might need things, aka humans might need to eat. And yet still, the next scene where she wakes up and she finds him in the hospital and she's being very demanding and he's like, I'm so sorry, I should have been there for you. And it's from that point, the book changes their relationship to one of like, some sort of personal connection instead of fucking strangers, which is what they are. It is a weird mix of trauma bonding, kind of, Mm. and codependence, kind of, and then just outright white lady entitlement, just where she just expects this to happen and the book allows her to get what she wants. Yes, I think that's super important she literally doesn't even know his name i think at that point either no because she's she's like where's the pretty witch yeah yeah god that's so gross when i think about it isn't it like oh that object that i want but like the the hurdle that this book fundamentally has to get over and that it can't it just cannot it doesn't sorry children it doesn't (laughs) it doesn't and it fundamentally can't because it has not done any work and even if it had it still couldn't but like the hurdle that this book finds itself having to deal with is the fact that, that Brina owns slaves, right? Like, not like I was a Confederate fucking maiden and owned them 300 years ago. Like, no, I right. own them currently. Yeah. I enslave people to this day. And as I have humans, uh, that means that someone did horrible mind-taking shit to them within your lifetime, Jay. It's also implied that Brina is abusive. Yeah. She hits Jay. Oh, yeah. Oh, I loved that moment. That was great. She just fucking smacks him. And it's like, dude. Um, She comments about like, well, can you find me a replacement slave for the one you stole? Um, Because my my previous human one couldn't stand the fumes of my paint. Her eyes bled. You let you just you, you let it get that bad, huh? Our love interest, ladies and gentlemen. Like, right? But no, she's an artiste. Yeah, it's it's weird because the book, so the book does the thing where like we have chapters from Brina's perspective, right? And in those chapters, Brina has her trauma and it's all over the place. Like her, her trauma of her brother dying, her trauma of being poor and on the street and in a plague like That's hundreds of years ago. Like, yeah. It has her living in that and like a character can live in that. But the, clearly the purpose of her living that is supposed to make us sympathetic to her, right? Yeah. 
But then you have Brina saying, hey, you took my slave, something I'm not ashamed to say out loud, (laughs) and you owe me one. You owe me a human being. Until until that one can come back to me, uh, pay up, because I'm entitled to this. Right? And the person that she is trying to get back to be her lady's maid is somebody who is so traumatized that, like, her psychic boundaries have, like, physically mangled Jay. Like, this is a seriously traumatized person. And you're telling us that the person who Oh, let's also mention her, she is a, a Black Native woman. Okay, we have to unpack that, though, right? Because she is, her, her and her tribe are specifically called out in the text as being Native American. She is physically Black, but not, and the book will also tell us this, uh, African American. She is aesthetically black. She's <laughs> described as ink black. Ink black. With white streaks in her black hair. Right, because she's so, so cool. Aesthetically cool, of course. <laughs> the aesthetic is still there, right? Like, yeah. she's still literally black and also yeah. a native woman. Uh, yes. That Brina, a white woman, has been enslaving for 200 years. For 200 years, who is As so tra- since the fall of midnight, we learn. Yep. Who is so traumatized that she can't move or speak or like defend herself. Unless someone asks her to. So this character who has owned this person, abused people, and made her, her fucking slaves work for her until they bled. This person is our love interest. I just can't get past it and i shouldn't you can't yeah no one should ask me to she's never repentant because you know again as discussed you can say hey here's some vampires and they do fucked up shit okay that's not great but i'm with you here are some awful vampires who do some fucked up shit Mm -hmm. okay but now they're the love interest are they going to do anything about the fucked up shit No? no well then what do you want from me they're, in fact, going to fervently defend themselves. Walk into the room and be like, I'm owed this crap. And uh, you also are complicit in slavery, so don't worry about it. Like You benefited. She, she never once expresses remorse for the things that she no. has done or seen done. She doubles down. Like, the best she says is like, well, that's why I didn't like to go to the main building very often. Oh, oh, okay. Right. Like, she expresses distaste for what was happening. The way a white lady will. It is very. I think you hammer nail on head. This is a white lady thing for sure. Yeah. And the problem is that the book is not framing that as, like, look at this fucked up white lady and all the shit she thinks she's entitled to. (laughs) Which wouldn't be great, but, like, you know, if that was at least the plot of being, like, Brina... You are such a fucking white lady. Uh, do you not think about this from the perspective of anyone else? No, because you have zero empathy where Jay is an empath. Like that would have been an, I mean, I don't know if an interesting, but it would have been a dichotomy. Mm-hmm. It would have been some kind of mirror between the two of them of being like, you have to fucking learn some goddamn empathy. <laughs> right? But instead, the book tells us that like, oh no, Jay the empath, Jay the empath man of color Oh, yeah. Did we forget to mention that? We did. We did. Jay is um, burnt sienna. (laughs) Or caramel, according to Brina. Somewhere in between. I love that you and I both 
looked up what those colors looked like because we went, that seems like a big difference in color. And like, please, please, listeners, go look up burnt sienna because I knew what burnt sienna looked like. Did you know what burnt sienna looked like? Uh, I thought I did. And then I Googled it and I was like, yeah, no, that yeah, is. Yeah. You look it up and you're like, I possibly wrong, but like. That's not a color one typically associates with people's skin. I I would say that it definitely feels like a color that a white person would describe an imaginary person of color as. Because it's so, so literally a red tone. Yeah. And so like the dichotomy of like, he is somewhere between caramel and burnt sienna, two very different colors. Very different. And yet she's a fucking artist. And, and yeah, for, for the white author to describe their male protagonist between these two colors that are not not really in the same house, no. right? No, like I can see it sliding up and down on the on the color chart and being like, what? There's so many colors in between. <laughs> there are so many colors. It's yeah. wild. I feel like we should really drill down on that, right? Because like that's a big problem with this book. It is. It is. It's so. Yeah liberal white person racist oh i can't yeah. stand it oh my god and, and the fact that this white slave owning artist has all of the big speeches mm-hmm. about what is essentially like liberal stuff mm-hmm. you're just like what how <laughs> it's awful you you don't get to say this you you enslaver this is the kind of shit that white people say in like black horror movies that are coming out yeah. now, right? Like these are the oh. people from Get Out, you know? Exactly, like, exactly what I was thinking. Except that Brina's literally a slave owner, so like there's no mask. She is right. what she is from day one. And and again, the person that she has gone to reclaim as her property is a black native woman. So this isn't <laughs> even like white oh my God. woman trying to reclaim her white slave, which would still be slavery. Yeah. This is literally a white woman enslaving a black woman for 200 years. This is so ill-conceived. It's ridiculous. And honestly, I'm going to just just be laughing at this from here on out because like, who came up with this premise of this slave-owning white lady being the primary love interest for a bisexual man of color (laughs) trying to reclaim her fucking black native magical slave and, like, said, this is a good idea. Who did this? Random House? (laughs) What editor do we need to talk to? That's the question. What editor didn't look at this and go, oh, my. Oh, there's just a... Oh, there's a lot. Oh, it just keeps going. (laughs) Pass. I need names, email addresses, because y'all really need to, like, pick this book up. I know nobody's thought about this book since 2013. I get (laughs) it. Since it it fucking came out. But y'all need to pick this book up again and, like, really look at it in the harsh light of 2022. This book to your next meeting and go, this is what we're trying to not do again in the future. (laughs) So, like, look at the overview and then think, could we maybe choose not to do this because the answer is yes good way baby like i'm just gonna put this out on the table like i know we're all about like our fucking redemptive slaying flavor owner like or nazi love interest or whatever like i know that some of us are just about that but can we please take a moment to really think about this think about maybe we shouldn't as a publishing company back that anymore it's so wild it is such a choice It's the kind of book where I feel like 
had it been more on the radar of people, and it, it's so funny to me that we both have the fucking ARC and neither of us have, like, <laughs> the actual book. Mm-hmm. Had more people been aware of its existence, this would have been blamed. I would certainly hope so. I am just shocked that it wasn't. I think it's just because it was like, here's book 10 in a series. No one's looking. Oh, yeah. I mean, you go through the Goodreads reviews and the bad ones will say, like, I did not understand what was happening. (laughs) Or I am a longtime Amelia reader and this one just didn't click for me. Like, nobody nobody talks about the slavery. I'm going to call out fucking Goodreads for that. 2013 Goodreads, none of y'all are talking about the slaves. That's a problem. Yeah. Which, which, you know, just very brief side note makes me laugh about that blurb where it says, uh, fascinating creatures, sure to thrill both new and longtime fans. N- neither of those. Absolutely not. <laughs> new fans don't know what the fuck's happening. Longtime fans are like, why are we, why are we doing this? I feel like that's a desperate thing from the publisher to be right. All right, look, we know that in the front there are like 20 books listed, but you don't have to read those, we promise. You can just jump on in on this one that changes everything, because it doesn't, it's fine. Right, meanwhile you open up the book and the book is just like, we lied to you. (laughs) (coughs) Wow, there's sure a lot of lie dust going on. (laughs) Yeah. Uh. So... Do you want to talk about about Brina's whole fucking deal? Yeah, since we've we've talked about her her, I wish there was a like a worse word than racism. I know, right? Slave owner. Yeah, because it's that. Because it's like not only are you racist, you literally subjugate people. <laughs> literally, currently, actively, you're like awful. On five levels. So many levels. Brina really is awful. Like, I want to be clear. This is not unfounded misogyny. Like, I'm not here being like this fucking vagina getting in the way of my dick ships. Like, that's not what this is. (laughs) No. Brina is wretched. Yeah. If she had been a dude, this would still be a fucking problem. Yes, absolutely. If Brina were Daryl, still fucking terrible. Right? Because it would still be like, you have people at your house who don't do anything or feed themselves unless you ask them to because you've fucking mind taken them and they can't go anywhere and they can't see their loved ones um they don't even remember their loved ones and if they die they die okay great right so brina's opening backstory is that daryl her vampiric brother i think she might have changed him because Kaleo changed her. Because Kaleo changes all the artists. Because he just can't fucking keep his dick out of anything. <laughs> Kaleo changed her. And something, like, it didn't go well. And so there's a lot of mental health shaming. There's a lot of the use of the word crazy and psychotic and mad. Um, so please be warned about that. She lost her brother 18 months ago. It was summer. And it's now Christmas. Because Turquoise got her fucking justified revenge. Seriously, Turquoise is like the only one. So she has been having a hard time. Boo-hoo, poor little baby. Because her brother protector isn't around. People treat her like a child. But like her her mental health isn't great. It seems like from like how you've put it, she's still kind of stuck in the trauma of her human life. Mm-hmm. 
so everyone always talks about Brina as if she's mad. Well, it's like, that's that's what's happening for her here. She's constantly in PTSD. It's also how she's characterized, right? Like, she's characterized as a Drusilla type. Oh, yes. No, no, for sure. Drusilla is the perfect example of what this character is. And so she's got her art and whatever, but she didn't want to go to Kendra's party. She didn't want to display her art. Um, Like, first off, Daryl's final piece was going to be on display there, which is confusing to me as to why it's displayed this year and not last year, but whatever. I'll allow it. Um, Kendra's... <laughs> ruled. <laughs> Kendra's party, this party that lasts for seven fucking days. Um, <laughs> it's fucking ridiculous vampires. Okay, but like, and Nicholas had already left by the time Jay got there on the first night. Like, right? What are you doing? You literally like put in FaceTime. Why did you invite Jay? <laughs> the party sounded so boring. It honestly just sounded like they were standing around, like making fun of fucking Brina the whole time. Like, what is this party? Yeah, it's like, oh, it's a big house and there's art in every room. They're all so artistic. Even the humans sometimes are the art. All right. Toreadors, it's fine. <laughs> and Sabrina didn't want to do this. Uh, Kaleo convinced her to put up, like, her Freya series. Oh, I think that was also part of it for me with the, the weird incest vibe. Is that she gave Freya's husband Daryl's face. Mm-hmm. And that's where I was like, this is already starting to be a little creepy to me. <laughs> But anyway, she didn't want to do it, but Kaleo convinced her, and uh, content warning, she attempts suicide. Mm -hmm. This is another part of this book that is just bad. Not the suicide. These things happen, right? Like, people are so depressed that they try to kill themselves. She's a vampire, it wasn't going to work. Um, The problem is the way that the book keeps using verbiage that reminds you that Brina tried to hang herself. It's like free word association. Every time somebody brings up something even close to the word hanging, we have to pause for a paragraph to remember that Brina did try to hang herself like two days ago. Yeah, it is an extremely poor taste, which, you know, in a book of poor taste. (laughs) No shit. So it's just like, okay, cool. Thanks for reminding us that her lady's maid literally cut her down before this party. Awesome. But that's, uh, I haven't really circled around this so much in my head, but it's Mm -hmm. like, that's the inciting incident. Her attempting to kill herself and her lady's maid, this woman, this black native woman who has been enslaved for 200 years to her, deciding, like, she can't tell me what to do. Mm Mm-hmm. If she's like that, I should cut her down so that she can give me an order, I guess. But Brina is pissed because she didn't tell you to cut her down and free her from her attempt at suicide. And this causes the lady's maid, the enslaved lady's maid, to have like a mental break or confusion or something going, oh shit, I acted on my own. She didn't ask me to do that. She's mad at me. And she, like, runs into the forest. I think Brina literally throws her out. Maybe not literal, but Brina ejects her from the house, which is why they find her. (laughs) I mean, considering that there are moments later on where Brina literally throws people. Yes, I would absolutely believe that she is bodily thrown. (laughs) Yeah. 
But yeah, so this attempt at suicide is our inciting incident. And yet anytime a word remotely close to <laughs> noose or, or hanged or anything like that is brought up, we have to like have a moment about it. And it's not, it's not like done somberly. Mm-mm. It's very often done just like super shittily. It's almost kind of a joke. Yeah. And even Jay does it. Who is like, again, this is going to be your love interest? Your empath. Yeah, right? You're going to be that shitty dude being like, ah, ha, ha, making fun of it in my head. I mean, I know she's a vampire who enslaves people. Like, (laughs) that's the struggle, right? Like, right. It's like, "Mm, it's still shitty of you. Not that she deserves any of your kindness, but it is still shitty of you. But like, you could maybe not fucking make a joke out of this terrible person trying to kill themselves. Right, because there's so much tied up with Rita because, like, her her thing is specifically, like, her depression, her sort of mania, <laughs> you yeah. know? because when she's up, she's up, and when she's down, she's down. And, like, as soon as she meets Jay, it's like, ooh, you are in a manic episode, I see. Yes, like, shiny, pretty thing. Like, it is very, it doesn't explicitly say bipolar, but it all but does, you know? Like, I think the only reason it doesn't say that is because Brina doesn't have those words. And Jay wouldn't have those words. Yeah. yeah. The way she goes up and down, it's like, you seem kind of like rapid cycling right there. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And, like, there is the stuff in that of, like, Brina's suicide attempt should be treated with respect because this character is being characterized as a bipolar person. So in its own little box, you have that. And then you have the other box where they're using this bipolar, this trauma to rehabilitate a slave owner to make her a palatable love interest for the empath witch of color. Right. It's like, well, she's got PTSD and bipolar and depression and suicide attempts and grief. And you're like, don't you feel bad for her? No. Well, you know, like, oh, am I asking for this white woman to learn better? Yeah, I am. <laughs> well, it's a thing that I think we we both came back to, which is that like, your past trauma does not excuse your present harm. Yeah. And it, it very much does try to do that with Brina because we keep getting those fucking sad plague flashbacks. We keep getting her feeling like so despairing about like Daryl. Oh God, yeah. And remembering holding baby Angelica in her arms until she went cold. So like we also have infant death in this book. And like, okay, random side note. Whose baby is this? We're never told whose baby this is. Is this their sibling? I assume is she so. Uh, like, but why don't you ever say that? I get told three times that midnight burned on September 22nd, <laughs> 1804. But you can't spare a, a fucking word to say my little sister or my own child. It does definitely just sort of hop and skip between establishing any of that. Yeah, it feels like in Poison Tree, Sahara Sarik with Corey as the little sister where you're like, you're not a real person who ever existed. <laughs> your mantivation for a woman. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. And that's, you know, she she spends her whole stay in single earth being like triggered by like the plague environment, you know, like Which could have been interesting, especially like I mean, it wasn't a, you know, the time a thing that was known, but living in the year twenty twenty two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
could have been interesting to read this book from the year 2013 about a woman living in a plague environment who had lived through the bubonic plague. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And being like, oh shit, I'm suddenly human again. And, you know, like, it's not germophobia if you've actually, like, dealt with this, but it's, you know, probably still germophobia. You know, it's like, <laughs> she's got all of this interesting shit if she just hadn't been a slave owner. That's what's so frustrating, right? Is like, I could absolutely get behind 90% of the drama and the, the like, tragedy of Brina's story if she were, A, not a slave owner. Like, I'm sorry, that's yeah. my hard line. <laughs> I've got a hard limit, and it's you actually enslaving people. Right, like, you talk about, like, moving on from your past, whatever you want, slave owning, that's my line. Um, And if Brina weren't so fucking flagrantly defensive of it, yeah, her fucking white feminist bullshit. Oh my god. It oozes off the page. And you look at it and go, I understand where these, you know, like, antebellum self and whatever, mm-hmm. where these white ladies, how they acted, I see it. I get it now. Which is <laughs> wild, because the author is from New England, and Brina is a French woman. So how are you going to be having this Daughters of the American Confederacy shit coming from this character? Daughters of the American Midnight Society. <laughs> so, so true. Brina is absolutely their fucking founding member and only member. <laughs> right. Being like, no, no, no. What would they even do without us? Oh, my God. I'm like, I don't know. Well, but they're not living beings. I mean, they don't know how to choose for themselves. Like, so fucking try. Have you fucking tried? Has anyone fucking tried? Not in canon. That's that's its own separate issue. We could also address. But first, Ollie, do you want to have a white, liberal, slave-owning debate? Do I want to? Yes. I'm asking, do you, Ollie, the human being, this is being recorded, you can never take it back. <laughs> do you want to argue in favor of this complicity Oh, do I want slavery? to argue in favor of a white liberal slave woman, slave owning woman? God, no. <laughs> well, too bad. I thought you were asking if I wanted to have a friendly debate because I wouldn't know how to be on that side. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm asking if you want to do a dramatic reading. Oh, Oh, a dramatic reading. Oh, gross. Yeah, I'll do it. It's fine. <laughs> Prepare to be clipped. <laughs> Being like, Ollie said this shit. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> These words, they came out of my mouth, but it was a book. Uh-huh. It's called Promises to Keep. Uh-huh. It's from 2013. No one's heard of it. Fuck. <laughs> that book doesn't exist. Don't lie to me. Gaslighting me. Oh. Dead right. shadows ruining your life again. <laughs> <laughs> It'll never stop. What what page? Uh, it is on chapter twenty. It's like two pages in. My Kindle doesn't do pages. That's twenty three. So, you know. Okay, yeah, I'll find it. Do you want to be Jay or Brina? Uh, wh- no, because you're the one who brought this up. Who do you want to be? <sighs> Fine, I'll do it. You can you don't have ruin- to if you want no. me. If you prefer me to be on fucking voice, it's fine. You could ruin my life all you want, Den of Shadows. There's nothing left. <laughs> Isn't that what it fucking feels like? <laughs> you take like, what are you gonna take from me? me? I live in a basement. <laughs> you gotta watch out. You've got a dog. <laughs> true you listen you can take everything you want but you will never take my dog 
Yeah, it's true. It's true. But you know what they can come for from me? My books. Please take these books. It's true. It'll just be like, oh, you came to, here you go. Just, it's, they're in a box. You can have <laughs> Like, them. I see. You're here for the stuff. Eh, there you go. Okay. So. All right. Lovely world you lived in. It was lovely. There were ugly parts to it, but the same can be said of any civilization, even today. I don't think enslaving and torturing helpless humans, shapeshifters, and witches compares to anything we have today. You live comfortably in one of the wealthiest nations in the world. You live on the bones of your ancestors, who were eradicated by the ex- Oh, he is native, isn't he? Oh, shit. Yep. Wow, okay. You live on the bones of your own ancestors who were eradicated by the expanding white populations. The food you eat, the clothes you wear, and the toys you buy are often made across the oceans by nameless, faceless workers living in conditions you would find intolerable. I try. For years, I was one of the poor, starving on the streets. Oh no, she was a poor. Then I was offered a chance to be immortal and a lady. If you have never needed to sell your body just to get out of the rain for an hour, do not think to judge me or my brother for what we chose. But you and they, and we don't, no words came. Jay liked to think that no matter how bad things got, he would never turn into the kind of vicious creature Daryl had been. But he couldn't say for sure that we'd have, he would have made a choice different from Brina's, which had been to take the good and ignore the rest said the only honest thing he could think to say. I am sorry you had to go through such hardship. Disgusting. Gross. I hate it. Yep. There's another line too. Pretty fucking choice. This might have been the worst since it was coming from a woman famous for being so oblivious that she starved her slaves when she lost track of time. Like that's just like mixed in there in the middle of this fucking white feminist bullshit. That's the thing, right? And there's they do it again later on. Not about that specific topic, I don't think. But yeah, let's find it. Um, so, I do not think they would have sold the Sakri if they could not survive without her. But the Chantel may not have been able to survive after losing Midnight. It was a hard time. Hard for the vampires, I'm sure. The less fortunate species rejoiced. They rejoiced in their freedom, but freedom and comfort rarely go hand in hand. Do you think Midnight was nothing more than an empire of slaves? This area is rich in silver these days, but in Midnight's time there were no mines here. Where do you think the silver came from? For that matter, where did your ancestors get the silver for their hunter's blades? Wherever people got silver 200 years ago. I don't know. Where? Zacatecas, Potosi. Modern Mexico, Bolivia, even Peru. This silver traveled at least 2,000 miles before it reached this spot, in a day when there were no planes or trains. Maybe it went to the Avian shapeshifters first, since they are famous for their silver work. They sold it to some Chantel mother, probably in exchange for furs or leather. And do you know where those trades would have taken place? In an age when few humans traveled 100 miles from their homes, Midnight had minds that remembered the great empires of Aztecs, the Romans, and the Chinese. We maintained trade routes that humans wouldn't discover for centuries. Your kind might not have openly purchased Midnight's tainted goods, but I guarantee that you prospered from it even while you tried to kill us. Prospered? Most of us were wiped out. 
And those who were not founded single earth. She desperately moves the goalposts. You have your I just love that he says nothing during that whole fucking paragraph. But God. Continue. You have your own empire now to control humans. And the shapeshifter kings who once bowed to us now bow to you. We founded single earth for protection, not to rule. Why do you think Mistress Jessica founded Midnight? <laughs> the Inquisition killed dozens of those who thought they were immortal. I spit all over my I love the way you said it. It was so funny. <laughs> Shapeshifter mercenaries helped. Uh, I'd like to pause you right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're told earlier on that the lions are, they're black people. So presumably, you know, that means that these mercenaries who we learn about in other books are black people. Oh, we've already done that. They explicitly do the whole like black people sold other black people into slavery bullshit that white people do when they're trying to defend slavery by saying like, oh, no, the Chantel sold her to us. Like it was their oh, own yeah. thing. The Chantel sold her. But also just like kind of subtly in case you didn't know, uh, the, the shapeshifter mercenaries who helped the Inquisition were lions who are explicitly stated as black people in this book. <laughs> it's wretched. Um, it. Great. Super great. All right, moving on. I'm not saying that this makes Midnight good or Single Earth evil, even though that's kind of what I'm saying. I'm saying that. But I know the modern Midnight fears Single Earth. Don't you think that should concern you? I trust my kin. And apparently you trust that your kin will always be in charge of a massive international organization that has its fingers in the governments and economies of every major civilization in the modern world. That makes it an empire, fucking check and mate. One with a branch <laughs> devoted to mercenary work, if rumors of an alliance with the Bruja guilds are to be believed. Okay, I'll admit there is a potential for abuse, but that's different from an empire totally devoted to slavery and subjugation. I believe in two absolute laws of politics. I'm not going to acknowledge what you just said. <laughs> Power corrupts, and good intentions are the fastest way to hell. Oh, Mm. and none of us really wants to live on our own. That's why we make these alliances in the first place. There's no shame in not wanting to be alone. What? What? I mean, that's the end of it, right? Yeah, I'm looking. Because he's, like, enjoying arguing with her. And I'm like, what? So, I remember getting to this part. And where she's like, Well, how do you think the silver got here? And where do you think those trades took place? Jay's response should have been after, you know, it's clearly in this plaza, all of them would have come here and traded, should have been, and who the fuck built the plaza? Mm -hmm. The people you enslaved. Mm -hmm. You were nothing without benefiting from the labor of the people you tortured, beat, Forced into having children with each other just so you could breed better ones. None of this, like, I love your comment about the the goalpost moving with fucking Single Earth. Like, I know you and I talked in Persistence of Memory with Sassy and Single Earth and, uh, and then later Poison Tree. Like, yes, we want Single Earth to be held accountable for the ways in which it is shitty. This is not it. Well, and the problem is that, like, Brina is bringing up all of this stuff. And, like, I also want to be clear about, like, She's being framed as being correct, right? Because, yeah. or at yeah, least, oh, yeah. at least having a point. Because Jay, yeah. our empathic Native American gentleman, is like, <laughs> well, wait, oh. hold on. The line right after it, the the di- not the non dialogue, the prose says, 
What happened to the addled woman so known for obliviousness that Zeke had been surprised? She'd noticed her own brother's death. Like, that's him being impressed with the conversation. Yeah. In the first argument, she leaves him incapable of defending like what she right? said. He has again. to be like, I'm sorry you went through that. I can't have a fucking conversation with you. So I'll just be like, sorry for your loss. It's absolutely framed as like a dunk. Like she has a point. Jay, you fucking privileged bastard. How dare you bring this <laughs> shit up? The book is absolutely framing Brina as having a point here. And the problem is that I mean, she does. Like, she has an unrelated point to the thing that he was talking about. Like, yeah. those two points are on different fucking axes of this graph. But she's throwing all of this stuff into the air desperately. Stuff that is serious. Stuff so that, like, she won't be held responsible. Yeah, it's all as, like, a screen to keep us, the reader, and Jay, the character, from having to really examine the fact that she owned slaves up until like two days ago yeah i mean she technically by law by midnight law is still the one responsible for those people in her home right yeah i don't think nicholas officially takes control of them until the epilogue not to the epilogue which means that like she still owns people yes current slave owner brina (laughs) so yeah, like, yes, Brina, you are, you have a point about fucking exploitative labor. You have a point about Single Earth being a shitty fantasy organization. But you, the author, are throwing these things into our face to excuse and rehabilitate your white slave-owning love interest. Yeah, we, we didn't need this. I'd also like to add the part where Jay talks about, like, how much fun he's have like, arguing with her. And, like, oh, my gosh, I just love a spirited debate because, like, both sides, right? Like, <laughs> devil's advocate. It's absolutely that white liberal shit of, like, oh, you know, it's the truth is somewhere in the middle. But, like, hey, no, there's not a middle ground on literally currently owning people, okay? And the book treats it like Jay... A person of color doesn't know anything about absolutely systems of oppression. Infuriating. The fact, as you said, that Brina, a white slave-owning woman, has to explain like systems of oppression and exploitative and labor and poverty <laughs> to fucking Jay Marinich is I incandescently infuriating. <laughs> like I ugh. Like, he's not a Vita. No, he's okay? not. He's not a smoke. We are told repeatedly that, like, the only ones who are, who are lower on the rung than the Mariniches are the Aruns, who are vampire-tainted. Like, he knows what it's like to not be the cool kid in the room. Everyone treats him like, uh, I don't know, like, like something is weird and wrong with him mm-hmm. because he's got this empathy thing. Like, he knows. He fucking knows. Did you forget? You forgot. He's also a Native American man in the world, which the author forgot. That is exceedingly frustrating because you don't just spend your whole time hanging out with nice group people. You have to encounter everyday humans who don't know about that world. Mm -hmm. Like you work with single earth. You've probably ever encountered racism. I doubt this 19 or 20 year old young man hasn't. It makes when she has these fucking info dump, word vomit, bullshit, feel like 
no, there's just no way. There's just no way. He hasn't experienced this. What is she doing? Why is she telling him this? She's making herself look like an ass. Oh my God. He's excited about the conversation. Fuck. Yeah. It's real gross. It's just a, a gross use of this character to do this to this other character. Yeah. Okay. I want to do one last bit of evidence to the court. So if you would continue as Brina, I will start as the spirit of the Chantal. Sure. Okay. What good did that little revolution do when the worst creatures all survived? When, after your kin declared victory, my child continued to live in suffering? You're reasoning with it the wrong way, Brina thought. Spirit of the Chantel, you wear the form of one who used to belong to me. The Sacré of the Chantel belongs to no one. I know of no Sacré. I know only of a creature named Pet. Has she not introduced herself to you as such? You tried to name her and tried to own her, but the shell you possessed was meaningless. The same shell you possess now? Is the Sacré even in there with you? Did you protect her at all, or did you just claim her for your own use? After all, you could not have been too fond of her, considering you were the one who gave her away. Is all this anger just a mask for your own regrets? Right. Brina, what the fuck is wrong with you? Uh, she's a terrible person. She's also kind of correct here, but she is a terrible person. Yeah, I feel like this is this is uh, the author going, quick, patch it. Why didn't the Chantel do anything about it? Let's have Brina mention it. It's, again, going back to the thing that Jay and uh, Brina were arguing about earlier. Like, no, no, no. Everybody's exploiting people. We're all complicit in exploitation. Chantel, you're exploiting her. Like, she's an elemental. Or they are an elemental. You can't run that on the elemental. I mean, she's not wrong. I'm I'm on, on team the elementals being shitty here. But yeah, is absolutely being shitty here. Again, this is just more stuff to put out there. Like, she's not the only slave owner. <laughs> well, because she's literally like, hey, um, that form you're wearing belonged to me. Oh, gross. And then being like, I don't know any Sakri. I only know a creature named Pet. You're like, ew, ew, super gross. Wow. Love it for you. Pet, by the way. A name is so foul that, like, I cringed every time I read it. Yeah, no. So so that's her lady's maid. Um, that name was given to her by Jaguar. You know, oh. the love interest from book four. And I like to just think of her as the priestess or the sacri, or for a long time she's the missing priestess in this book. But everyone calls her Pet. Even Jay. Even Jay. Who should be calling her the Sakri or the priestess. That's the thing, right? Like the book goes into detail about how profane it is, like what happened to the Sakri. The whole idea of the Sakri is that she can't have a name and she can't be owned by anybody, which is a weird set of conditions to put on your power. Also going <laughs> to fault you for that elemental. But if any of those things happen, she loses her power, I guess, question mark. She stops being the Sakri. So Jaguar presumably buys her when she's sold by her own people. Don't feel too bad about fucking it's okay, vampire I think we racism. learn about it in the next series. It's fucking jerk-off motion. Anyway, 
So Jaguar acquires her in whatever disgusting way that happens. And he becomes like a nightmarish figure to her. He breaks her. Uh, He does stupid fucking midnight trainer bullshit. And he names her pet. And from then on, this character who is spiritually within her culture, not supposed to have a name, or it is like the worst thing that can possibly happen to her is physically abused. It's implied that she is raped, like an abundancy of terrible things happen to her. And she withdraws within herself and like acquiesces to being broken in order to protect the Chantel. The the phrase that has come into my mind with all of what the priestess went through is the fetishization of violence onto people of color, particularly black women. And native women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Black and native women. It's, It's just that. It just feels gleefully fetishistic. It's so weird, right? Because you would think, okay, so here's here's the other big issue with this book. Like, I think we can fucking rest our case with Brina. Brina fucking yeah, sucks. Yeah, no, we've got all the evidence. She's fucking awful. She's fucking bang, bang, racist. bang, guilty. Yeah. Send her to character jail forever. We don't need that love interest to get her out of here. <laughs> we don't. And the fact that Jay is at any point amenable to being romantically involved with this lady Ugh. is like, you're. this is a badly written relationship. Something that I, I thought as we were discussing, uh, or as we were reading that third one, mm-hmm. though, um, that I do want to add into the, the Brina pile, is that you'd commented that the first time he sees her, he feels almost compelled to do what she wants to comfort her because no one else is, and that's what she's used to. Mm-hmm. I wish it was just that, that his empathy was picking up on these things, and so he was amenable to it mm-hmm. because of how she was, that this was non-consensual protection. That's what it would be if somebody who weren't worshipping these characters were looking at it from an even vaguely objective perspective and writing the story that these characters warrant. Yeah, just being like, I'm picking up that you need someone to help you. Yeah, but there's so much like attachment to these characters being redeemable protagonists. And like, because yeah. I just want him to put a knife in her at the end. Uh, genuinely there's never a point at which brina is not a loathsome character because even that end part where she's standing up to the chantelle you're like you're you're gross you literally just again in your big speech here at the end are reminding us that you enslaved this woman yeah you're invoking your ownership rights gross gross anyway so yes I think the other thing that is like a big deal breaker with this book is that the conflict that shakes up the world as we know it (laughs) is that the Chantel elemental who is ostensibly getting revenge for all of the awful things that have been done to uh the priestess and also to her culture sort of because they've also been wiped out yeah that it goes mad with power sort of mad with Mm. vengeance and begins hurting people who were not directly involved with the event at hand, which also reads as like a lot of anti-reparation yeah. shit where like, I didn't own slaves. Why should I Why be held accountable? Me? Well, like, remember in the, what was it, Token of Darkness, where it was just like, the good white lady being like, you should calm down, let's go get some tea. That's what it fucking feels like. Except the added layer of racism. Right, and it's again, it's part of that like, 
oh, you're reacting um, too aggressively. And um, you're tone policing an elemental who has been trapped for 200 years and her people destroyed. Yes, absolutely. 100%. The final conflict hinges on us being on the side of the people who want to keep this elemental from getting revenge that, like, honestly... I was here for it. Yeah, fucking murder all of them. In in the second segment, one scene of the elemental was introduced, I was like, oh shit, that's great. They're gonna destroy Leona. All of the people who only have bonds to Leona are gonna die. That'll be super fun. Other ones will have to make quick, you know, connections and whatever. Anyone who has anything else is going to survive. This is great. I was super looking forward to that because, like, again, we knew that there were other elementals out there and people had made other bonds, blah, 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 blah. Right. I thought that's where we were headed. I was thinking after I finished this book, I, I finished this book and I literally was like, you know what? I'm going to go take a shower. <laughs> <laughs> Wash um, it off. I ha- I was just like, mm, you know, no, I'm going to need some water to cleanse me. <laughs> and and I thought about how there's a line at the end where Jay or Brina is thinking about, would anything have even been different if we hadn't stepped in and done what we did? And I thought to myself, oh my God, why did you even put that there? Because now I'm thinking about it going, Yeah. You're right. None of this would have mattered. You could have just let Chantel get their destroy on, and basically the same thing would have happened. Instead, as mentioned, you tone policed a fucking elemental, <laughs> uh, who was right. Mm-hmm. You could have destroyed Midnight. Why did we do this? Why did we even have this last third? Why wasn't the last third them going, we need to help them, because this will destroy Midnight? Like. Oh, you know what? This fucking elemental has a point. Light them up. Yeah. Oh, you are okay. The people I know are okay because I'm I'm going to make a deal with this elemental to protect my my witch family. Great. You know what's going to happen when all of Leona's bonds go? A fuck ton of vampires are going to die. As a vampire hunter, I support this. Right? As a vampire hunter, this is my platform, actually. Please elect me King Vampire Hunter. I killed all of them, you guys. You're welcome. <laughs> all except for, you know, the ones that had an elemental attached. Whoopsies. But we the can ones get who those. run Midnight have an elemental attached. Ugh. Okay. Well, we have to talk about how there aren't any actually consequences, but... There's no fucking consequences for Jessica's brood ever. I would like to... Okay, so here's my thesis for this book. So you have Tone Policing the Elemental, who, if we can just remind everybody, is exacting revenge on the descendants of the Elemental who allowed Midnight to sort of be a thing, right? Mm-hmm. Midnight, an empire founded on owning slaves and breaking them in the worst ways imaginable. And magically. And magically. We haven't even talked about that. And... This whole thing is, even though it says it is a shaking up of the status quo, it is in fact scrambling to preserve a status quo, right? Oh, it's like capitalism. Yes, it is. It protects itself. Like the powerful band together against this radical elemental who wants to collapse the system. Oh my God, I hate it even more now. 
they band together to preserve the status quo because there are just so many people who aren't directly at fault for it, you know? Yeah, man. Like, for all of this, for all that this book likes to fucking wave complicity in a destructive and oppressive system in our faces, they don't do any, it's it's literally all lip service because the minute it comes down to actually meaningfully destroying characters that maybe the author gives a shit about, we can't mm-hmm. do that. We have to band together to protect the system because this elemental is expressing their rage incorrectly. Oh, I'm sorry. We didn't think you were going to destroy everything. We only wanted you to destroy our enemies that were over here. Right, but you're going to destroy my kin? Um, how dare you? Which will bring me back to my frustration that, um, so as mentioned in the opening prologue, where Sarah Vita, original, <laughs> hesitates and doesn't kill Jessica because they will slaughter you and your family and your children and your entire line. They will wipe the witches from the face of this earth. Do it. Fucking do it. Right? Fucking take the fall. I, w- I would fucking do it. Okay, all of my line, all of the witches. I think every single witch would stand behind me mm-hmm. and say, yes, do it. Maybe I can hide. Maybe some of us can hide. Maybe some of our culture will live on. But if I have to, I will die. Let them come for me. Let them come for my babies. Right? If it gets rid of Jessica. Yeah. Get rid of her. Again, this is where I thought the the line of not all hesitation is sin, not all sacrifice is in vain. I really thought that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. I thought Jay was going to be like, yeah, let's fucking do it. Yep. Let's destroy all the witches if that's what happens. Oh, but the elemental decided to band with me and so all the witches have been saved. Great. That's a little hand wave protection thing i'm okay with Mm -hmm. hi dyson (laughs) he's got the itchies yeah instead of this where nothing is sacrificed right it's like it makes it to that point where it's like oh yeah the systems are all intertwined like i can't attack jessica she'll hurt my people and that's why we can't get rid of this particular senator because his interests are so (laughs) like they're in line with the people who support me and like yes Look at this. It's our own fucking system reflected in this shitty vampire world. And when you have the opportunity to make changes in your fictional world and you fucking dismantle a rightfully angry force, a rebellious Mm -hmm. force to preserve that status quo. Yeah. So, yeah. So, like, here. this is, again, this is me just sort of. I don't want to undermine my interpretation because I think it's valid. But I'm not saying that, like, any of this was intentionally meant to correlate to anything else. I'm just saying that, like... (laughs) Sometimes we read so deeply into this shit. It's just like... (sighs) Also, fiction foundationally reflects, like, the time and environment into which it is written. And this text reflects, like, this time. The 2010s. Well, and I believe, like, this mid- mode of thinking, like, the, the correct way to express violence, like, the non-culpability of people who are complicit with the system, even though it tries to assert the direct opposite. Um, yeah. You know, just certain things, and granted, those are things that I deeply dislike and that are a line for me of not being able to enjoy this book. They may not yeah. be your line. That's totally fine. But, like, for me, those things made this book 
foundationally not something that I could personally enjoy. This is why you have named your drink. Fuck this book. <laughs> yeah. Um, this particular part of the conversation, the whole like systems of Prussian capitalism uh, protecting its own interests, mm-hmm. reflects like one of the goddamn thesis statements of the Kesha. Okay. Where I know no one else was thinking, fucking tear down the monarchy. <laughs> what are you all doing? If this is a problem, get rid of it. But I know for me, that would have been a more interesting take on all of that. Yeah. And here we had the opportunity, as opposed to, you know, my radical idea of, what if you're not the king anymore? <laughs> you know, nobody wants that in their, in their princess fantasy novels. Mm-hmm, I get it, mm-hmm. fine. But this one's telling me we could, and then it doesn't. It says, honey, perhaps you should sit down a little bit. You know, right? you're, you're really loud. Well... What they do to the Chantel is awful. It's terrifying. And they, they pitch it as the answer. So first off, they head out to, to the land of uh, where Midnight was, which is somewhere in like the Midwest. And they go to the Chantel's original land. The Chantel is both the elemental and the name of the shapeshifter. So like the avians and the serpiente and the Chantel. So we go to their original lands and they were going to, like, I thought, try to reason with it. Like I said, like, maybe be like, can you protect my people? I'm cool with what you're doing. Just like, hey, I helped you. You helped me. Um, <laughs> instead, they want to destroy it. And please note that when the big battle happens, our two, our two <laughs> people who can see this are told to run. Mm-hmm. Are Two fucking point of view characters are told to run. So the big battle is happening and we don't get to fucking see it. They have to like go trek through the fucking snow again, I guess. Yeah, no fights for you. But Zeke and Riquet, who have gone out with them, who are a triste? Yes. And a vampire, who each have their own elemental bond. Conveniently. So many people double dip. I just want to throw that in. Like, all the important right? characters in this book double dipped their elementals. Seriously. You're like, Leona has you, but a little, little something here on the side for Leshen. Don't mind me. <laughs> right. Right. So, Jay and Brina head back to Single Earth number two. I don't know why we didn't go to Single Earth number four. We'd set that up that that was, like, owned by Lindsay, but whatever. Can't have too many connections. and non-consensually invite as many people as possible well or rather dubcon (laughs) invite people into a circle so that they can call this elemental they don't tell anybody by the way bad shit might happen up to and including death now fucking none of that it's too important to ask for people's consent Mm, love it so they call all four of the main elementals water through tears Air through breath. Gag. <laughs> Earth through flesh. And Brina could have just taken his hand or or touched her forehead to him, but chooses to give him a kiss because she's been wanting to give him a kiss since they were in the woods. Oh my. Which we've never seen, even though we've been in her perspective a couple times, but whatever. Right. This is a romantic relationship. You just need to Yeah, know in case that. you hadn't noticed. And uh, then they cut some some hands so that blood will happen so they can call fire and then they get the kiss and they call the elemental and another fucking elemental had like told the true name of Chantel to them 
and was like, oh, it's a betrayal to tell this name, but I'm going to do it anyway. Because they were told by elementals to go do this fucking ritual Mm -hmm. so that all of the elementals would be able to get it while basically you've tied Chantel down with their true name. Right, because they're binding Chantel to themselves. Yeah. And like, there's a comment about, well, we called you and bound you, so we could have decided to take all that power for ourselves, but we're good, so we won't. And instead, all of these other elementals who show up because, you know, they invoked them in this huge circle of people at Single Earth, some of them who had been dying, some of them who are dead, all of these elementals show up and they start tearing apart Chantel, tearing apart all of its memories, because I guess memories are what elementals are held in. This is starting to get to be bullshit and I don't know what the fuck is going on. (laughs) But I'm just repeating what I was told. So they literally tear this elemental apart. All I imagine is that the lost priestess, like, magically appears and all of the people who, um, because, like, the elementals, like, go into the bodies of some of the people in the circle. I just imagine them literally tearing apart this native black woman. Now, granted, it doesn't tell me that. No. But what am I supposed to think? You don't tell me, ah, here's the elemental in its rawest form where it is, you know, like, dirt or something. You just call it Chantal. You say it shows up. The descriptions are are pretty rough just from, like, a metaphysical thing, right? So, like, they they constrict creating a noose that strangled the Chantel elemental, so oh, its powers oh. away. They stole its memories, all of the thoughts that gave it form, ripping them away like children tearing paper off of Christmas presents. I know I said to you, it's like fucking Cinderella where the two stepsisters start tearing apart her dress so she can't go to the ball. It feels more violent than that because when they're- Well, yes. No, for sure. It's it's way more violent. But just that scene, that (laughs) feeling of like, fuck you, you can't have nice things. Well, right. Because when they're done, the only thing that's left, like the the elemental is not dead. It's just a child. It's reborn, you see. So it's like a good thing because it gets to start over with all of that pesky- And not be so angry. Yeah, the pesky rebellion and rage that were threatening the system. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So this is the point where I would like to say the the priestess, the one who was enslaved for more than 200 years because she was, you know, enslaved by Jaguar as well, mm-hmm. never- says anything on screen. Mm-mm. She doesn't get her re- her revenge. Nope. Would love to see her rip Jaguar into pieces. Right. That would have been the first thing I would have done. Yeah, really. As the, as the, the fucking Chantal Elemental being like, where's he at? Oh, I don't <laughs> care who he's connected to. That one's going down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we know that she turned Brina into a human being like, fuck you. You're not immortal anymore. You're human now. Good luck. But that's it. We don't get any any closure for this character. She is a pointless lamp. She's a, yeah, absolutely. She's, she's just a slave lamp. She's a sock that the Chantel wears. Yeah, she's, people just put her on and make her do shit. Like, where is the Sacri standing where the Elemental was, breathing, free, having her mind back to herself, mm-hmm. looking at this tiny Elemental? And taking it on and going, I will, I will protect it again. Mm-hmm. And being like, fuck you, Brina. Why didn't this native black woman get her story arc? If the second part was so much about destroying Midnight and protecting this priestess, 
Why didn't we get that? You can have the third arc where it's like, oh shit, we've got to, you know, I, I don't like I don't like it, we've discussed, but you know, oh, we've got to take down this angry elemental who's being too loud. <laughs> Fine. But could you at least wrap up the arc of of part two? That's how you know, right? Like that's how you yeah. know. The book doesn't care. The book doesn't care about the Sakri or the harm that's been done to this priestess, even though it absolutely not gleefully like recounts it to it. It uses that trauma to like impress upon Jay like how awful it's been for her, but yeah. it doesn't care. Like I said, it's that fetishistic glee mm-hmm. about her pain. Yeah, it doesn't care about her as a character because if you actually had to care about her as a character, then you could not possibly. Have Brina in this. No. She couldn't be your love interest at the very least. So that character that has, has canonically, at, that the book will tell you has suffered terribly, is sacrificed on the altar of this white woman yeah. being a, a palatable love interest. Like the book is telling you where its priorities are. Yeah. It's in Brina's redemption. She is Artemis of the Hunt. Oh, fuck this. Ugh. I forgot about that. I hate this so much because they frame Brina's arc. We haven't mentioned this and I'm not going to go on about it, but I do want to say they don't have enough time. They frame Brina's arc as one of like, oh, I was once a maiden, a lady who nobody believed could stand on her own two feet that everybody treated as a child. But I want to move out of that and become my own woman. And like, that fucking self-empowerment bullshit. And you just have to stand there and being like, you are a fucking slave owner. Fuck yep. you. Do not spin this into like a story of female no. self-empowerment because that's gross. And also, again, showing where your priorities are. Yep, 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 yep. Oh, um, something I did want to mention. I was just looking through my notes. Uh, You mentioned that the elementals towards the Chantel made a noose. Again, I would like to remind people, this is a black woman. The Chantel itself, if not literally in the form of the Sakri, this thing is indigenous by its very nature, and you are lynching it. Cool, great, love it. Right? You're like, hey, we're gonna take, we're gonna tear apart the body of this dead tribe, and again, that's awful because they should not be. To we're just gonna take the last remnants of this tribe and and use its body to make everybody else better. Right, to make all of these fucking vampires okay. Like, vampires, man. Like, I get, like, we all love vampires. vampires. I love vampires. You love vampires. We all love vampires, right? But, like... They're fun. They're fun. Fuck them, you know? Like, if they can't stand on their own two feet, let them die. Let them go. (laughs) They had their time. They lived a good life. (laughs) If they couldn't do it in hundreds of years, if they couldn't sort their shit out, they do not deserve more time. The smart ones made a secondary deal. If the rest of them (laughs) haven't, that was their folly. I didn't know. Wah, wah, boo-hoo. Right. You had a good life. Die. It's your time. Right. Right. Goodbye. Um, And there's just like, there's just generally a lot of random shit in this book that like evokes native cultures. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, randomly, like I said, like, there was that scene in the beginning where they had, you know, like, off-brand Native American stuffs. And then, like, Karen Smoke is randomly in here, everyone. <laughs> She's only focused on her wedding. She uses Colors of the Wind from oh my Disney's God. Pocahontas for her wedding march. I know at one point, like, 
Prina mentions some some native from Mexico story that she wants to like paint. And I'm just like, why is there so much of this? There's just this, hey, I want to have it here without paying any fucking respect. It can't be accidental, right? That has to be like tied into fucking Jay being indigenous himself. Like this all has I to sure tie together. Hope so. But in like a dumb way, because as we mentioned, it comes to a bad conclusion. Yeah. And doesn't pay any respect to the middle middle arc. Speaking of, I wanted to say, mm-hmm. so like the last line of the book, I feel like we can all kind of oh, God. kind of get down on this, right? Like, this is how you close your book, as we have established in other Amy books. This is sort of mm-hmm. like where you say, like, in conclusion, you know, Paris was the greatest city of the 18th century, whatever. <laughs> so this is the very end of the book. She knew that Daryl's lady with a falcon on her fist, that's the last work of Lord fucking Daryl Deeper Farts. Remember the the guy who enslaved our protagonist? Right, from Midnight Predator. You know how he was like Mm -hmm. a stand-in for an abusive boyfriend? Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, she knew that that had stood in the front hall this year. Zeke had already told her how it had stopped Jay Cold as as he'd examined it as if unsure whether he could love it for its beauty or should hate it for its creator. All right, all right, I'm full fucking red stringing this, Ollie. Is Amy (laughs) talking about America? Can we love it for its beauty or should we hate it for its creation or for the way it was created? Is this it? it? Does this tie in all of the, like, indigenous imagery, the shit with the Chantel, all about, like, midnight and the complicity in the system? Like, is this what we're talking about? I'll go further and just be like... Can you love this book <laughs> for its racism, or should you hate its creator? <laughs> I'm just saying, if you wrote this book and this was the line you went out on, I feel like you're just confirming all of the things that like, yeah. I've been worried about. <laughs> all the stuff you're like, I hope that's not that. You're like, mm. I thought maybe that was accidental. Now I'm feeling like maybe it wasn't. And now I'm like real uncomfortable with this. And this is the line you go out on for your Den of Shadows series. This is what you go out on on 10 books. Like, sure, you know that you've got three more coming. But those books take place in the late 1700s, early 1800s, America, in original midnight. Mm -hmm. You know, your slave empire. Yeah, that's where you're going to go with this. You're going from here to there. Why? Just, Just why? I don't know. Ollie, I think yeah. one last thing we should mention, and this is almost like the post-credit scene. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the five post-credit scenes. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, do you want to talk about those? Because I'm actually talking about a thing as a transition into Midnight, the series. Oh, so. let's talk about that after, because I, I have some stuff that sure, I want to chat about. I'm going to run through this, and then also we should probably chat briefly about the the post-credit scenes of the book itself. Okay. Okay, um, so in the post-credits scene, um, we don't get to know anything about what happens to Jessica, the Mistress of Midnight, and all of her trainers. Uh, last we'd heard in book four, Turquoise and Raven had been hired to go do a stab 
<laughs> and like presumably all of the problems of her still existed for 18 months like nobody knows what happened to her but she's spoken of as if she's still alive mm-hmm. like they don't even give a moment in the ending for us to know what happened to them or any of the trainers None of the trainers, not Jaguar, not Gabriel, none of them. But we know that Jessica was bound to Leshen, the Earth Elemental, before she was changed. And so therefore, it's like a sly reveal that Zeke is one of her line, even though he pretends he's from Mira's line. And it's been kept a secret, blah, blah, blah. But really, we don't even see what happens to them. Nobody who is nearby them sees them, like, having a bad time and decides to do a stab-stab. The motherfuckers who are the whole reason... That this fucking elemental went postal? Why did we never see inside New Midnight? Because then we would have to think about how Jaguar is the love interest in Midnight Predator. I just it, it just doesn't make any sense. We should have seen the fucking destruction of like a human who wasn't broken going through and being like, oh my god, they're gone. The vet they're gone. All of these people. I saw so and so escape, I assume, but but they just keeled over and started, I don't know, foaming at the mouth. I'm free. No, it's because this book does not have room for the justified vengeance that the fucking characters actually deserve. The fact that Midnight is the whole focus of this fucking Elemental's, like, or the impetus. It's not the focus. Yeah. Leona is the focus. But the impetus for this Elemental's rage and we never see, like, the consequences of it. Again, you're showing your priorities. Yeah. Um, And then I've got one, like, really super personal quibble. Mm -hmm. Uh, My girl Karen is really planning a New Year's Eve wedding. So rude. (laughs) And it's just utterly rude when people put their weddings on holidays. I mean, just like, fuck you. I've got better shit to do. It's my holiday. (laughs) How dare you ask me to take my holiday and make it about your wedding? You know what, Karen? I'm marking no on your invitation. Yeah, I'm not showing up. I love New Year's Eve. Fuck you. I'm throwing my own New Year's Eve party. <laughs> Piss off. Um, And the fact that it's like a week before the wedding and they're still planning like cake and seating charts, that doesn't seem right to me. Like they, that just doesn't seem right to me. It's also a very rushed wedding because it was only announced in the um technically canon, but not anywhere you can find it in a book. Inbox of Diana Smoke, Mm -hmm. which happened over the course of a month after All Just Glass um, and took place through, like, right before Poison Tree. Mm -hmm. So that's, like, from November 2nd until December. So, like, you just announced it two months ago. Right, we're getting married right now. Like, are you pregnant? (laughs) Because otherwise I don't know why, especially if you've been together for a while... You're rushing this. I like the idea that the witches are like matriarchal in every other sense, but like have a baby out of wedlock. No, 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 no. <laughs> Not in my house. No. Karen put Not a in ring on Smoke's it. house. <laughs> yeah. So that just was just like really particularly strange to me. Like I'm, I'm glad we get to see Karen, but Jeremy comes out of nowhere and he, he's a fine character. Like he's a human and he seems fine. But um, Karen didn't get nearly the amount of scenes she deserved for a character that I fucking loved in the two other books we saw her in. Yeah. For her plot to be, and now she's focused on getting married. I'm just like, come here, I need to smack you. (laughs) I think that's all, because I think we've talked about everything else. Okay. Let's talk about the promises to keep endings. Okay. Um, So as mentioned, we don't get to know about anyone who's actually fucking important. 
Instead, we get to learn that Kaleo is still alive. Fucking Kaleo. Out of all of the the fucking vampires, Kaleo, who was the antagonist in Shattered Mirror and tortured Christine just because he didn't like Nicholas, who embraced Brina, who embraced every random artist who who he just thinks about what he wants to, who stole Lila Light from her family, even though she was a witch and didn't fucking want that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Kaleo. Yep. We learn he's still alive, and Theron. Well, and the only function there, right, is to cap off Brina's story, because Brina ends the story as human, but witch, question mark, and Kaleo, who... He is just there to say, no, I will not change Brina. She will probably live the rest of her life as a human because, as we all know, turning into a vampire made her a Drusilla and I'm not about that (laughs) life anymore. Right. And it literally is Theron being like, she'll die. And Kaleo being like, nothing beautiful lasts forever. Uh, And then also to establish the big magical switcheroo. Now, Tizak Theron has fire powers. (laughs) <laughs> cool did we know this character before no, no we did not we didn't we've never seen him we see him two books from now in a different series who cares about him once again he is a website easter egg yeah cool then we go to new mayhem where we see Fala. okay i did like this scene though <laughs> um i'm glad to see Fala kicking around but she only has guesses about Aubrey, and we don't see Jessica. Right. That's a big fuck you to demon in my view, people. It really is. And we don't see Rasika. No. Okay. I'm personally offended by that. Like, you could have mentioned Rasika, even if you were just to be an asshole and mention that she died. Like, but she probably won't, because if Aubrey's fine, she'll be fucking fine. Like, it's nice to see Fala there with Moira and, and Jagger, or Jaeger. That's nice. But could you have had Aubrey and Jessica, like, wander in checking on everyone and Fala being like, oh, great, they survived. <laughs> like, <laughs> who died? How do you know that people died if nobody who matters is dead? Right. The whole point of Fala scene is just to show us that Silver is dead. Silver, a character we've heard a lot about. Oh, right. We learn more about him in one paragraph than we have about so much. We do. He's such a ventrue. Um, he really is his thousand dollar suits. But I found it delightful that Fala uh, kicked him to make sure that he wouldn't regenerate. I was just like, yeah. bless you, Fala. It's like, should I give him blood or no? Um, I do like that Fala is able to use her magic that she'd had when she was a human sorcerer. Mm-hmm. First time we've heard about that, I think. I think it was mentioned that she was a priestess before mm. she was turned. Fair, fair. If I recall correctly. But that makes me wonder why why Jaeger is still alive? What's your double dip? Clearly Moira is Fala's childer, so we understand that one. <laughs> she said that she used her powers to preserve them both. But that makes no sense, because as soon as she stops, he's gonna disappear. Well, presumably he got switcherooed with everybody else, or like everybody else. Yeah, true, true, true. Um, still, I would have liked to have seen somebody who we knew from that line was dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it is funny that Silver is dead and that Fala is like, fuck this old dude in particular. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Then we go to Maryland, where we've never seen any of these people. But all right, I'll, I'll give it a pass. We see Kyla Cobriana trying to get into the modern day dancer's nest because her brother Lucian, who presumably was the current Diente of the Serpiente, whether or not he actually like 
held the title because she doesn't mention it. Mm-hmm. But, like she remembers seeing him having a fever, and he and she also did, and he like started talking in the ancient language, and she didn't know what they were arguing about, and then the ground starts to shake, and Lucian opens eyes that were quote no longer just the rust red of cobra eyes, but that had burned like liquid magma. And I just want to say, does that mean that like the Cobriana no longer have garnet eyes? Because that was always a very specific phrase. I did also wonder about that. Okay, I'm glad you had the same question. <laughs> so it made me wonder. I would have preferred, um, since this this book goes out of its way to like mention that the Serpiente and uh, the Falcons had probably before they got their shapeshifter powers actually been worshipping elementals, you know, and Hamarak and Meek. I would have loved if he turned towards her and instead of the the rust red or the garnet or whatever eyes, saw Falcon Blue mm-hmm. being like, Yakobriana boy just made a deal with Anmeek. Yeah, I don't really understand the purpose of this scene. It's just to show what's happening with the Serpiente, I'm guessing. But who cares? They're not the Serpiente Nobody we cares. knew. Right? Nobody knows who Kyla and Lucian are. Unless you were specifically planning on doing a book about them, they've never fucking come up. Yeah, and it's not like, and that's only half. Like, if you're going to bookend, like, all of your previous books, right? Which you aren't, yeah. because you don't. No, because you didn't tell us about Rasika. If that's the point of this scene, then, like, why do we not also see, like, what's happening with the Avians? This just feels so random. Why don't we see the Falcon Island sinking? Anything. Anything. So, yeah, I would have preferred to, if that was there, see more shapeshifter stuff. And also for the eyes to just be something different. Just be someone else popping in and being like, hey, I'm taking an opportunity here. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, you've now got, you know, violet blue eyes and you shouldn't because you're a Cobriana. That would have been neat and felt like a switch. As it is for readers of this, even for in-depth readers of this series, like, all you have is the name Cobriana. That's all that exists in this epilogue. Yeah. Then we move on to one I don't want to talk very much about because it's fucking Ryan. (laughs) Uh, For some reason, we have to go check in the liqueur manor. All right. Piss off. Don't care. I do want to note that I do think it's funny that they low-key dunk on Samantha by saying, like, she was not a powerful enough elemental to be involved in this battle, and in fact, knew absolutely (laughs) nothing about what was going on. Right, she can't fucking help. There was, like, a line earlier on, too, about, like, Jay trying to find sorcerers, and he'd, like, gotten off the phone with some assistant named Cooper, and I'm like, oh, look at your little Easter egg nobody cares about. Right, right. Then... The final scene in a coffee shop in Boston with the three known as the wild cards. Who? Who is calling you the wild cards and why? The website. Why does it matter? The website is calling them the wild cards. It's literally it. it. And it's Rakei who we saw and Zeke who we saw, who each had different elementals. Zeke had had an earth elemental, I think. Mm-hmm. And Rakei had had some, what does it call it? It's an angst elemental. Basically, yeah. Of agony and rage. They make her sound like she's really some hot shit, and then she's barely in this book. Yeah. It's interesting that Zeke should have been able to survive now on, like, touch, Mm -hmm. but we don't lean into that much. And then Rena, Renegade? Mm -hmm. Author insert? Is there, and she, as always, the others had been involved in the story, and she was left to write it. And her powers have changed. This is the most try-hard shit, and I love it. Mm-hmm. 
Her powers had changed, she thought, but who could really tell? She had been born in a run witch, tainted by vampires, partially trained as a <laughs> yes, partially trained as a triste, and now possessed more than one strain of shapeshifter power. All of that had been jumbled and reassembled. It would be fun to see what happened next. That's the Den of Shadows. That's a fucking character that you build with your fucking character sheet. That is. I've played this game for ten years. <laughs> Oh my god. And I'm, I'm gonna tell you all now, I spent all my points on getting these different heritages. I have no functional skills. So I'm just gonna sit write. back here and write what's going on. I am not even a bard. <laughs> not even a bard. I am a scribe and a historian. That's all I got for you. So I'll just be following in the back. And if y'all die, I will note it in my book. <laughs> bravely run away away <laughs> but no i just love that there's no i mean i'm sure again i'm sure there's rhyme or reason but like just I'm emphasizing sure, but do we see it <laughs> emphasizing the fact that one elemental makes you a vampire another elemental makes you a witch another <laughs> elemental makes you a shapeshifter and like the fact that there's nothing inherent to those characters that made them shapeshifters that that made them we were wondering Earth elementals make shapeshifters because flesh and you can change your flesh. Cool. Great. Right. But like Rena just randomly has some shapeshifter vibes now. Nothing yeah. to do with her. Everything to do with the RNG, I guess. All right. How do you want to do the next bit that you wanted to do? Oh, so when we get back to this author, our next series mm -hmm. is going to be fucking the Mavra, which is all about midnight. And something that is going to come up a lot for us there is going to be the fucking magical slavery of Midnight, right? Mm. We get a taste of it here. And I just want to put out, like, this book, we talk a lot about, like, Brina's slaves. Jay interacts with a lot of them. And, like, the mm -hmm. thing that the book keeps hammering home is that they are not people anymore. They have no will. They have no desires. The only thing that they do is respond to commands. Like, we are told this so many times. <laughs> they're computers. You just input the command. Yeah. But they're pointedly sad and tragic computers, right? Yeah. Jay says this. These poor creatures didn't have impulses anymore. All independent, self-aware thought had been stripped from them. Humans had enslaved humans, but they had never been able to destroy each other's minds and spirits the way a vampiric trainer could. So, mm -hmm. that's gross. Yep, I have a little bit from early on when he first encounters one, shall I? Go for it. He ducked out of the way when a pair nearly spun into him and he ran into... Static. White noise. The mind he faced made Jay feel as though he'd been dunked in an icy lake. Dressed in immaculate black and white... The human before him was apparently one of the help, not a guest. His mind was odd, sterile, still, devoid of emotion and wanting. Yep, these slaves are not people. This is going to be a big plot point in the Mavra. But I just want to put out here that um, this thing that uh, we're supposed to be okay with Brina being complicit with is described as something beyond anything that humans have ever done to each other, which <laughs> way to like undermine actual chattel slavery. Right. Like way to would go. Would have been nice if it was like, this is slavery and it's bad, but what real humans went through was worse. Oh no, no, no. This well, is the opposite of that. 
Right. And like you get why it's there, right? Because like we spend a lot of time dehumanizing these slaves. And so we need to throw in a line that says like, but actual slaves were not subhumans the way I'm describing these slaves. This is a special kind of magical slavery and that's why they're subhuman. <laughs> it's like, that's worse. You, you get why that's worse. Right? <laughs> it's not, they're both bad. No, they're both terrible. Both options, not good. Maybe we should not have good. taken this book apart from the bricks. But yeah. like you did midnight. <laughs> if only. The bricks are still there. Mm, burning. So the... Idea that midnight and its slavery can simultaneously be worse than anything that has ever happened in human history, but also roughly comparable to like exploitative, like sweatshop labor, <laughs> just sort of shows you like the way that this book shifts its fucking establishment of reality. Yeah. And, and then the fact that it's like Brina is complicit in this. And so we're we're being asked to forgive her? What are you going to ask us to do about others? I'm sure we'll find out. <sighs> I'm not looking forward to that. Like, I, I think we'll have a, I mean, good time is a not correct word, but you and I will have shit to talk about. Mm -hmm. And that I look forward to. But I, I just, I don't look forward to how horrified mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's all going to be. Nope. And the the worst part is, I know those those characters very mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. So well, I get thanked. Oh no! Yeah. Oh no! It's more more trauma on Ollie's hands. This is like it's not my fault. This <laughs> shit. But I mean, if you need to fucking smack someone, you can smack me upside the head. <laughs> like I didn't. I wasn't around for those books, but I didn't when I had the chance ask these questions well you were young and these were published many years later and maybe an editor should have asked these questions <laughs> maybe an older adult should have asked these questions it's true right somebody get me the list at <laughs> delacorte press from the year 2010 i got words <laughs> oh god okay ollie would you recommend this book i can absolutely for one of the first times in a long time feel as confident as I did in episode three season one <laughs> when we talked about Annette Curtis Klaus's terrible take on sideshows mm -hmm, mm -hmm. say no mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I would throw this book in the trash mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because no one should read it that's how I feel about this one there is so much wrong with it. It's it's harder in some ways than Annette Curtis Klaus's book because that one was just like every page being like, what the fuck, what the fuck, what the fuck? <laughs> but it's the subtle, insidious, liberal white feminism mm -hmm. asking you to be okay with magical slavery and the way that it asks you to be okay with telling an elemental who's native people and black priestess have been enslaved and destroyed to be okay with telling that elemental they're wrong mm -hmm. and that they need to like check how they're angry it's such a different way but it's <laughs> such a no how about you uh yeah no i agree uh fuck this book it's fundamentally like at its core just not a good premise and you can't even blame 
being a kid writing it because this yeah. was written during a nano like a couple of years before it was published. So, yeah. All right. Well, we're done. This has been the return to the Den of Shadows. Ugh. Yep. Yep. I'm Ollie. You can find me on Twitter at Olivia Hennis. You can find the podcast there, Backlist Podcast. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Endless underscore Run. You can also find the podcast on Patreon, patreon.com slash Backlist and Chill. All right. We love you and we want you to be okay. So... <laughs> We'll see you next time. We'll see you next time with better books, I swear. All right, bye. <laughs> bye.